Hey, what's up, everyone? Renee here with a special announcement. Uh, just letting everyone know that we here at the Movie Time Podcast stand strong with the WGA and SAG AFTRA during this tough and important time in the industry. Even though neither one of us are members of any of the unions, we want to make sure that we do our part to show our support and solidarity with those on the picket lines and those who are currently out of work. First and foremost, we are fans of film and cinema, and we're going to continue to show our love and passion of the works that are put forth by the true creators that make these movies possible for all of us to see. That said, we will continue to do our show as usual, but always ensure that we put more emphasis on the writers and actors involved in the works we talk about week to week. We will also continue to stay up to date on the strikes and make sure we do what we can to spread the word on how to help those affected. We have included links to special funds and ways to donate to ensure that those affected will, at the very least, get support to live while these strikes continue. We encourage you to do your research, and we will provide as much info as possible through the links provided. If you have any questions or have other ideas on how to further show support, by all means, please let us know through the comments. Thanks again for all of your support. It's about that time to grab your favorite snack and sit back and relax because you are now listening to the Movie Time Podcast with your hosts, low-key geek Renee Zalata and Blake the Wolf. Take it away, boys. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's time for... The most monumental day in cinema history, well, at least for this year, as we are recording this, today is officially Barbenheimer Day, and we have the release of two of complete polar opposite movies that you'll get in any given weekend, but you have a lot of people and talking about it and buzzing about it and all that stuff like that. Obviously, Blake and I, we are so excited to talk about these two fine pieces of cinema. Um, but uh, yeah, you got myself, Renee, Loki Geek here, and Blake the Wolf, my buddy, partner in crime, movie bro. What's going on, man? R- Renee, we're friends, right, in real life, outside no, of this. Don't, don't, no. And you know, you know what's going on in my life. You know I've been having a bit of an existential crisis, and so that's sure. why I love doing this. That's mm-hmm. why you and I are such good friends. We bonded over love of cinema, and I love going to the movies and escaping. And so um, I was really hoping to not have to encounter my mortality, what's my purpose in life, and sure. fear of death. And yet, here we are. You say these movies are opposites. I'm going to say these are the same fucking movie. We'll get more into it later, but are you ready to get into the Barbenheimer? And we've been preparing for this for months. We have. Months. No, we we have. We've been talking about it ever since we found out that both movies were releasing that same weekend, this same weekend. We've been talking about it since, ah, oh God, I can't even remember at this point. Like, ever since the first trailers yeah. came out. Um, I'm so happy to finally be able to talk about Barbie because, yeah, well, spoiler alert, I already saw the movie back in February, but I couldn't say anything about it. But I I knew this was a movie that was going to be up Blake's alley. 
Um, especially since we both love Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. And the fact that you have this husband and wife power duo uh, writing the script together and then her directing it. Her only, her, this being also her third movie in her career that she's directed. And what a, what a trajectory from Little Women to Lady Bird and then now to a gigantic IP that still has Greta Gerwig's signature all over it, you know? So it, it is quite fascinating. If you don't know who she is, you're definitely going to know who she is now. And I, I think she's going to be a powerhouse uh, in the directing world in Hollywood when everyone else is not striking. So uh, <laughs> before we get into all the good stuff here, as always, if you're brand new to you know this channel and listening to us and hearing us, um, welcome aboard. This is the Movie Time Movie Review Talk Podcast, where you got two bros talking about movies and uh, expressing our love and passion for cinema. And if you're like us, then you found your home. So definitely join us. Subscribe, follow, hit that like button on YouTube's. Um, if you want to help support the channel and help this channel grow, you can check out all the nice information in the description of this episode where we have affiliate links of some items and things you might be interested in. But also, most importantly, as of this week, I have launched uh, an official merchandise shop called popcouture.shop where you could find not only merchandise from the channel, you know, with logos and what have you, but you'll find some interesting, unique designs based off of pop culture movies and the like there. So definitely check it out. And if you are um, visiting that site for the very first time, and obviously you are a listener of this uh, podcast, I'm going to give you a nice little discount. So why don't you, when you check out, type in Loki Geek, one word, all uppercase letters, to get yourself 15% off your order. What a sweet deal for a first-time order, uh, for a first-time buy. So definitely check it out. Um, obviously, anything that you do, whether it's through the affiliates or through the shop, helps support this channel. And it goes to things like, maybe we can get Blake a new mic. I think, I think Blake needs a mic. So let's get him a mic. A mic like mine costs like 100 bucks. So let's get him a new mic because uh, that would be greatly appreciated and all. Um, but yeah, so thank you again for all the support there. So before we get into like the two giant movies of the week, um, like I normally like to do, if it's from a director that we like or a director that's done stuff before, I like to go back and revisit things um, to get myself ready. Uh with Greta Gerwig, it was kind of easy because she's only had two movies under her belt. Um, and that I so I rewatched uh, Little Women and I rewatched Lady Bird. And I have to say, I, I don't think I appreciated Lady Bird enough when I first saw it. I liked it. I knew I liked it. And I, I knew it was a good movie. But seeing it now... All these years later, I'm like, wow, this is a really damn good movie. Um, I, and you could really get the sense of Gre uh, Greta's um, humor and her timing and, and the way she writes comedy and all that while mixing in important messaging and, and, and whatever. And you could see that she is slowly and I would say even now she is she has become the voice of the female generation right now. 
um, which I think is very important uh, for us to have that. Little Women was interesting because she goes from a period piece in a, in a movie that is like done over time and time again, right? This movie has been done so many damn times. Puts her own little spin on it. You know, she includes her her two favorite actors in uh, Cersei Ronan and Timothy Chalamet, um, who she reuses again in Lady Bird, who were supposed to be in Barbie. But because of scheduling conflicts, they weren't able to do it. So I, I thought that would have been Shout unfortunate. You who was an Oppenheimer again, same movie. Yep. We'll get into it. Yep. I don't want to interrupt. I have a whole lot of like where Greta Gerwig comes from, cinephile yep. indie movie nerd knowledge. But I'm going to let you finish. Yep. I just had no, to no, no. That out. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Little Women had just showcased a lot of the great up and coming actresses in there and and, and actors as well. Um, and, and, you know, veterans like Laura Dern and all that, who was an all-time favorite of mine growing up. You know, I, I really, really love her stuff. So that was on the Gerwig side. And then on the Nolan side, I revisited Interstellar and The Prestige. So, and I think it's a good thing that I did those two movies because I think Interstellar was probably uh, Nolan's first kind of big, huge swing. Right. And it was like a really huge cinematic uh, extravaganza that he was really going for. I mean, a lot of people will say Inception is that movie, um, but I, I really feel like Interstellar took it up a whole other level, you know, um, dealing with more of the sci fi elements of things, but also dealing with with physics and, and time travel and black holes and all that stuff. And then the prestige is kind of like his way of telling a short story coming to life. You know, he, that's like that's like his M. Night Shyamalan movie, you know, because it does have that really amazing twist at the end. Well, two twists at the end. And it's one of those movies where if you watch it once, it kind of ruins it for you because you could never go back and watch it the same way again, unless you allow a lot of time to pass, which I did. So watching it again made me remember like, oh, my God, the way that he's, he told the story was actually very well done um, because of the story elements and not so much of the big extravaganza like Interstellar. So it's like I had like two polar opposites of his type of filmmaking there, which I thought it was very unique um, to prepare me for this week. Did you do anything like that this week, Blake, um, with, with just oh, yeah. going back? OK. Oh, yeah. The main, so I was going to do a whole Nolanathon, but he's got too many movies for that. A I lot even listed yeah. out what order I think you should catch up on Nolan with if you've mm -hmm. already seen them all. Maybe yeah. go chronologically if you haven't, but essentially it was this very complicated, like, start out with a prestige because that's a movie that tells you how to tell a story. Yeah. Then go, um, because you can also do a prestige order of his movies where a character disappears and then returns. Mm -hmm. So Tenet. And then Memento, um, and then just kind of a variate like from there, just variations on it. So mm -hmm. I, I I have that list of of movies though. I'm pretty proud of how it how it turned out. We're not going to go through all of them. The main ones I actually watched was Prestige, and then um, Dunkirk because I wanted oh, to okay. get his historical film. It's the only other time he's done one that's basically a straightforward historical drama. Right, right. 
it's got a little bit more going on with the editing, but and what order things are in. But for the most part, it's just factual, great story of history, which I knew Oppenheimer would be in that realm. So that's what I wanted to mainly catch up on with Nolan. For Gerwig, I thought about doing watching those two movies, but I've seen them enough over time and recently. What I will add to what you're talking about with the Gerwig history is technically, I'm gonna I'm gonna be my put on my little nerdy hipster indie boy cinephile glasses sure ladybird wasn't her first movie i absolutely love ladybird um i it's kind of for me and from my era and it was really cool seeing someone do like that memoir film from they graduated high school like oh three so the songs that are playing at the high school party are the songs that we were listening to at my high school parties etc love ladybird but before ladybird she co-directs with Joe Swanberg in 2008, Nights and Weekends. Hmm. And for those who are aware, welcome. This is the part where we talk about Mumblecore for uh, right. one minute. Mumblecore is one of the most influential genres of film in recent history and one of the few new genres of film. It's more like a subgenre, but there's a few things that define it and put it separately. There's... Um, you can see its influences in a lot of indie movies now, but it essentially takes like the American indie cinema m moment, especially the early 90s, the Gus Van Zandt, the Jim Jarmusch, et cetera. And they take it a little bit further where it is very, they call it mumblecore. It's very quiet. A lot of it's improvised. It's not, there's, it's very uncinematic, almost intentionally. So maybe like imagine shoegaze as music, but as a film genre. That's where she gets her start, and she has also written a lot of movies before Lady Bird. The first one uh, being Hannah Takes the Stairs, and then her second movie she writes and co-directs uh, with Joe Swanberg, who's a hero of the Mumblecore movement and hasn't really left it at any point. Greta Gerwig has. Mark and Joe Duplass, which a lot of people are familiar with them now, they're becoming bigger names if you're familiar with TV and movies, but they've had some like big projects and doing apple tv stuff um and and there are still making things but just at a bigger scale than they used to um the other person i'll mention uh which we're not going to talk about her much but lena dunham also got her uh start in mumblecore and then goes on to do girls and a whole bunch of other things since and she's probably more of a household name than than any of those other folks until now greta gerwig um Noah Baumbach has, like you could say, ties to Mumblecore. There's, there's similarities in genre, but it, he's technically a little bit different. Anyway, Hannah Takes the Stairs, like if you just pull up the, the wiki article for it, it has been described as the defining movie of the low-budget, dialogue-driven Mumblecore movement. And so she's been, uh, I've been a fan of hers for a long time. And she has bona fides in indie cinema. And what I love seeing is over time, those kinds of actors, writers, directors getting bigger and bigger budgets until finally Warner Bros, which there's the whole backstory, Nolan leaves them uh, mm -hmm. after the previous movie. And then they yeah. go, oh, bet we would like to produce a movie that will come out on the same weekend. And they give Greta Gerwig a bazillion dollars to make a giant movie. I know we're going to get into Barbie here in a second, but I was amazed by, I knew it was going to be smart. It was directed by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. I thought it would still have a, an overall tone of corporate schlock or, you know, board game movie, toy, video game movie, IP kind of stuff. It was so much deeper than that. I am so glad that they gave Greta Gerwig this vehicle. Most other writer directors 
would have done a fine job and we would have gone and been like, oh yeah, that was entertaining for a Barbie movie. That's kind of what I expected. It was a little better, at least with the way that they talked about how they went into making it even before Greta Gerwig was hired. But damn, they she really made a high quality piece of film. Like, I don't know where this ranks on like all time movies or where it'll rank on my list of all time movies. It is, I need to see it maybe two or three more times and really digest it. I was appalled. And there's multiple times in the theater. I'm just holding my head going, I can't believe she's doing this, with <laughs> this movie. It was so much further than I expected. Even once I knew it was Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig in the, in, in the writer chair and Greta Gerwig directing, I still didn't realize it was going to go that hard and that deep. So I'm excited about getting into it with you. Yeah. But that's, well, that's kind of the homework yeah. I did is, is and been preparing for this for uh, oh, decade and a half or so. Hey, no, I'm not Ryan Reynolds, but I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with the Mint Mobile ads that he puts out there, whether it's on TV, uh, YouTube, social media, or what have you. And I'm sure a lot of you are very, you know, wondering, are wondering and very skeptical that how good is Mint Mobile? Is it really worth all the hype and all the, you know, huge discounts every month and, and all the promotions and stuff like that? Well, I was very much like you. And late last year, I decided to take the plunge and try it out myself because I was honestly tired of paying so much money every month on my cell phone bill. I was a huge long-term Verizon um, customer and I was paying $80 a month on my cell phone bill, which is ridiculous. Even given now, given the fact that, you know, I'm not really working a regular job like I used to. So saving money is important to me. But of course, I don't want to sacrifice quality in my cell service, uh, especially when it comes to data and all that. So I decided to give it a shot. And I have to say, I am extremely pleased with the service I'm getting. I haven't noticed any drop in quality. And, you know, for what I'm paying, I feel like I'm definitely getting more bang for my buck. And I want to be able to share that experience with you so that if you're in the same boat as I was, maybe it's time for you to give it a shot yourself. And right now they have this amazing offer where you can uh, sign up for them and you will be able to get three months unlimited data for $15 a month for your first three months. I mean, that is an insane discount. Um, and I highly recommend you check it out and try it for yourself if you're looking for a change. Um, switching over from your um, cell you know, service is not going to be difficult. It was, I did it in like it didn't take a long at all to do it uh as soon as i got the kit and my sim card in the mail i was able to switch it out and bing bang boom all said and done if you're looking for a new phone and you're happening to maybe eyeing one of those new google pixel phones they have a special offer where you could save 200 dollars on a brand new phone and receive six months of free service when you purchase a device and six months of service so Right now, I think it's a good time more than any to give this a shot for yourself. So check out the link I have specially uh, provided for you in the description of this video, uh, this episode here. And uh, give Mint Mobile a shot. And uh, if you do, let me know what you think about it. Because I was, again, pleasantly surprised and very happy with how everything turned out. 
But I think overall, I'm just happy to be saving a lot of money every month on my cell phone bill. And I think you'll be happy too. So Mint Mobile, check out the link in the description. And thanks for checking them out. Thanks, Mint Mobile. Yeah. Um, well, you, you started off. So, yeah, let's get into it now. Um, you're right. When I first saw this movie back in February, and again, some background story, and uh, I can talk about it now, obviously, because the movie's out. Um, I was invited to a test screening of this movie in February. Kind of a very similar situation like with Mission Impossible. Um, but with the exception is I knew I was seeing Barbie for this test screening because they advertise this as such. It's like, you are invited to a test screening of Barbie. The minute I saw that email, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going, even though I have to drive to, to Jersey for that. But it was like worth it for me. That's one of the only it. movies yeah. that you drive to Jersey for. <laughs> right. Like, okay, there's yeah. so much hype going into this. Like, right. All right. We'll do it. We'll pay the toll. I don't mind it. I don't mind it so much. Yeah. Like I will dedicate a day just to go out to Jersey just to see this damn movie as early as possible. And, you know, when it's a test screening, you're, you're I'm seeing the movie where it's like missing stuff. Like a lot of the opening credits were, were missing, you know, as they were flashing mm-hmm. on the screen and she's doing her Barbie thing. The music wasn't all there. So I didn't hear like the Lizzo uh, song playing in the background that was like wow. narrating every little thing that she was doing. That's that why a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Really- getting you in the mood for it 1000 percent different movie at yeah. least that part yeah interesting okay yeah your reaction from then makes more sense with that in mind no absolutely. that unfinished yeah absolutely but you get the you get basically the basic story there like you you, you and yeah. to be to be honest from what i saw in this now final cut it it remained intact for the most part, like it, like they didn't really deviate from anything um, from what I originally saw. Um, obviously, with those test screenings will change an ending entirely. Sure, or get rid of a whole character, right. or this we, these people found love now they don't. And right, so it makes sense that the bones were intact back in February because that's yeah. not that long ago for when no. you're talking about editing a movie, post production, all that mm. stuff. I mean, the one thing I will say is that they did, um, and it was a little bit unfortunate. Uh, they did had a had a post credit scene that included Helen Mirren, so Helen Mirren actually showed up on screen as kind of like a breaking the fourth wall nod to the audience that she's yeah. the one talking the whole time and I all that. that. Yeah. What happened? What happened? I, I, that? Are you I, allowed to say? I, I, it's I, okay if you're not. The thing is, it happened so fast that I can't even remember. I just knew okay. that, oh, I was like, oh, there's Helen, you know, and, you know, she, she acknowledges that she was kind of like the narrator and all that, or she was kind of Bueller-y almost, in right. a way, like a little, just a little quick, yeah. boom, say a few words and then dip. Kind of like, like, uh, I was the one in your head the whole time and all this, you know, and, okay. you know, I, and I also love the fact that they kept up line. And, and again, we're going to be going into full spoilers here. I, I don't think there's any, it's not worth kind of like just cutting around it i i just want to talk freely about both of these movies and all that you um, movies you've already seen them by the time yeah. this comes out you already did the double feature or you're waiting three weeks until a seat opens up at the imax 70 millimeter right you're la one of the right. 30 screens worldwide whatever. right exactly yeah i mean if, if you want like a spoiler free version of both of these movies the the channel will have um those spoiler free versions um at some point so you could check that out uh it'll more than likely be up before this this uh episode airs so 
Um, but yeah, like I love that they kept the line where she's uh, where Margot is crying and saying that she doesn't feel pretty and beautiful, and Helen kicks in and is like, "We we like kind of like we know Margot Robbie is not the right person to kind of sell this point, like <laughs> kind of like just go with it, like you know, like I thought yeah. that was so smart." Um, but yeah, back then and even more so now, I knew that this movie was very smart. I think even I think it's too smart for its own good, to be honest with you. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I just think for the type of property that the movie is based on, it's going to be too smart for the audience that is going to get attracted to this, or at least in the beginning. And I think when word of mouth spreads more and people start understanding what the movie is really about then I think you're going to start seeing a more a, kind of a, a, a shift in uh, attendance. And it's going to be people like you and I, and uh, but more of the female demographic who are like you and I, who are going to want to go see this movie. And they're going to want to see what the what Greta is trying to say here. Because, yeah, Mattel gave her a lot of freedom, in, in her, both her and, and Margot, in, in doing what they wanted to do in, with these characters. Because like many other IP Mattel is very protective of their stuff, you know, just like how Hasbro is very protective of Transformers, this and that, 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 that. and I'm sure they had some notes of like, we want to make sure you at least cover this or cover that, whatever the case is. But for the most part, it looked like they just gave her free reign to do whatever the hell she wanted to do. Um, if you look at the backstory they kind of had to do because they lost uh, some original writers, right. the people who were attached to it because there, there was a, they felt too much restriction yeah. from the production team when they were saying, we want you to basically remake Lego movie. And apparently there was so much pressure and they kept saying that no more mm-hmm. Lego movie concept, which they kind of do, but Lego movie, I think you're right. This one is a level, maybe one or two levels deeper than Lego movie. Yeah. Lego movie was good at appealing to general audiences and people who wanted to think a little more deeply about it. This one is more catering to the people who are going to think more deeply about it. Word of mouth telling people what this movie is. I think you're basically going to get that second wave of, of audiences being a very different group of people Yeah. because what will happen is it's kind of similar to Lego movie where I was one of those people in that second wave where like I waited till people saw it and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to see that. That's some terrible, you know, they're just, it's a commercial. They're just selling products. Yeah. And people came back to me and were like, no, it's actually really good, high quality movie, mm-hmm. like on some Paddington 2. I was like, okay, I'll go see it. Loved yeah. it, loved it, loved it. But what the what who will be kind of not seeing it is any we're just going to call them like normies, people who don't want to think deeply about this stuff, people who just wanted the phone it in Barbie movie. Yeah. Um, folks who are like going to be offended by some of the things in here who like don't embrace equality among genders uh, and races, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, they're called bigots. Um, people who <laughs> just wanted like a silly escapist, whatever, nothing to think about at all. Yeah. I think of it as like the Thanksgiving crowd, like the movie that you can take your niece, nephew, aunt, uncle, and grandma to. This isn't going to get that group of folks just going, yeah, everybody's going to love it come through. Because it, it, you can't, it's unavoidably deeper. Whereas Lego, you could kind of still just z- zone out and enjoy mm-hmm. it. Um, and it had, I think this one had a lot of great jokes, but I do, I'm aware it's not for everyone. So instead of what's probably going to happen is I'll be talking to people like my friends going like, and which I've already done. No, trust me. I know you're a cinephile. I know you were yeah. suspicious about Barbie, which if you know Greta Gerwig and know about Bombback, you know it's going to at least be quality enough 
yeah. those people may have been going anyway, but it'll be the people who are one round more skeptical. Yeah. Um, like the letterbox bros who are a little hardcore, a little more militant uh, mm-hmm. about their taste. Um, the people who would go to war if Christopher Nolan was in, in charge, was the general. Um, those folks I think are going to get pulled into the movie and it'll be thought of as more of a piece of like cinephile, like a history, mm-hmm. great quality film rather than Lego movie, which maybe towed that line a little bit better. Yeah. And it's funny too, because watching this movie, it did remind me a lot about Lego movie. Like there are some things that really in my mind called back to that. But it also called back to many other things because you could kind of see Greta's influence from like the movies I'm sure she grew up watching. I, I reference Elf with this movie, you know, like kind of like a you know fish out of water coming from a fantastical place into the real world and kind of getting smacked in the face with reality and all that. Like I felt it's like funny, a lot Will of Ferrell's that. In all three of those movies you talked right. about, Lego movie, it's so true. And Barbie, yeah. he's in the real world, and Elf, yeah. he's the the fish out of water that goes into the real world. Right, it's Sorry. so true, and and I'm pretty sure that was pretty much done on purpose too. Like yeah, Greta and Noah, they're they're smart enough to kind of think that way. Um, I'm pretty sure that was very very uh, purposeful for that. Um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I felt like the whole opening was very similar to that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like. Mm-hmm putting you in the kind of that mindset and reality that this person lives in and kind of having that play out to kind of set the tone. Right. And I felt like it had a lot of that going into it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I'm interesting. A little bit clueless, like a smart comedy about sure. it's is where it's self aware yeah. and yeah. they're the characters are actually smarter than they let on kind of right. thing. Absolutely. I'm guessing that might be on the, in the repertoire. Yeah, I mean, there's again so many. Like, you could put Grease in this movie because they had some dance scenes and a, a, an amazing oh, yeah. dance off between Ryan yes. Gosling and Simu Liu. I mean, so so good. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be really really interesting because uh, I again last night when I went to see it, I, I went to see it. I had to drive like 45 minutes out to a place called New Rock City because that was the only theater that I had uh, access to that had 70 millimeter for Oppenheimer. So I was going to go there and then watch Barbie also at the same time. And the whole day I was there, I saw families with their little four-year-old kids, like their, their, their little daughters. Everyone's decked out in pink and all that. I saw like several princesses walking into the theater and all that. And I said to myself, Oh, poor you. You're going to have no oh, idea no. what you're getting into. <laughs> like you oh, have, because no. this movie is going to go way over their heads. If anything, maybe their parents appreciated it, but there are certain people that I'm sure it, they were just probably pretty much confused about because when I did finally get to see, got to see the movie, it was a lot of teenagers um, and like 20-something-year-olds, right? Because we always do New York City. Can you describe the vibe of New York City? Is it suburban? Very is suburban. It 100% upper suburban. Upper class? Like, what are we talking there? And like, politically, or is it, it's going to be more right-leaning than Manhattan or... Uh, no, it still has I a very... Know, it has a very... It still has a very democratic... New York City, Manhattan night kind of like vibe to it. As is far it as the metropolitan area, like no, it, you're, uh, okay. New York City is closer to Connecticut. That's the best way to to describe okay. it. It's um, not going to be coastal elite as much. It'll be a no. little bit more neighborhoods and yeah, just, you know, it's 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 like it's that. it's pure residential. Like even though it's called New York City, it's not really a city. 
that's just a shopping mall area. They call it a downtown okay. where you have your TGI Fridays, the movie theater, and a Planet Fitness. I mean, that's basically what you got going on. Okay, so there. where I'm from, Oklahoma City. Okay, but just <laughs> yeah. East Coast version. Right, exactly. It, yeah. It's exactly. Cleveland, it's Detroit, it's New Rock City. Right, okay. exactly, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and you know, you got your, your middle class there, like, you know, middle to lower class people there. But, you know, obviously this is a theater that probably everyone goes to. So you, you get everyone going to that from, and it's all races too. It's like you got, you know, uh, your white girls, you got your uh, whatever. But everyone was there on full force. I saw a lot of girlfriends. I saw a lot of groups of girls going to watch this movie. Um, a lot of pink. I a lot of pink. Even when Oppenheimer Day, because I saw Barbie Wednesday night. Yeah. Really blowout screening. Oh, you saw it went to the blowout party? Wall to wall pink. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, like it looks like the color of the wall changed because there was yeah. so much damn pink. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day, um, it was still similar, but then you also had the Oppenheimer, the people with the all black New York uniform. Yep. Next to the pink people. It was great. I right. Loved it. It, it, it it's what a what a what a what a weekend to go to the movie theater because you're gonna have such a Hell contrast yeah. of people going to to watch these movies. But yeah, you might not I, ever get that again. And also, there was a guy with the yeah. half Barbenheimer pink and black shirt. Which nice, to that guy. nice, yeah. nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, like you had a lot of groups. But at the end of the movie, I felt like half of the audience that saw the movie with me were lost. Were kind of like confused, and I think they were expecting a different movie than what they got. And this is not. This is not. I, I don't I wouldn't say that this is a problem because of the way Greta Gerwig did the movie or how the movie was written or directed. It's the property. The property kind of attracts a certain crowd because they think of it as, oh, this is gonna be like Spice World. This is gonna be like a Barbie movie, like 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 you know, kind of like how Spice World was big when that came out during that time. But it's not. It's a very, very smart, witty movie. Dark at sometimes as far as humor is concerned and kind of the realities of the world um self you know importance of self where one belongs you know kind of like where what who am i a lot of who am i situations um and that four four year old girl in her in her princess outfit having her first existential <laughs> oh my god the movie does the needle drop of you all ever think about death <laughs> which which again i laughed so hard the first time that so line hard. dropped in february and the whole audience laughed very much so last night half the audience laughed and i think i was the loudest out of them all because that line still gets me because it's just so out of nowhere but again if you know greta's humor you know noah's humor like i said again if you saw white noise and you saw ladybird you know kind of the movie you're getting into because it has that yeah. humor sensibility in it in there. But yeah, it's a lot of deep, you know, feminist messaging, but also messaging of equality and acceptance. And I love the cast because you had all races and all genders represented, um, which is how it should be. And that's kind of like the message that Barbie has been trying to put out there for a long time where Bar yes, Barbie can be all of these things to kind of empower women to do all that. But there's also, well, I, there's a black Barbie, there's a Hispanic Barbie, there's, you know, a Barbie in a wheelchair. And I love that they did, they showed all that. 
so if you are a fan of Barbie and I guess kind of the lore of Barbie, you got everything in this movie because they referenced everything, even down to the pregnant Midge, the Alan character, which I thought was hilarious, um, played by Michael Cena. Um, and the Michael rejects, Sarah. Michael Sarah, sorry. Wait, um, John but Cena, Cena was, was a mar- was, was a mermaid <laughs> who was hanging <laughs> out in the uh, merman. merman. I don't know who don't was know hanging. Was yeah, who was hanging out with Dua Lipa, who was the other mermaid there. So I, I, this movie just had a lot of great little nods to the property and all that, especially like the rejects and uh, discontinued Barbies too. Um, so if you're a fan and you're familiar with all that, then this movie has a lot of that stuff for you. But it also has a lot of uh, not not inside jokes, but just dark humor based off of what is really happening in society today. And I feel like they pulled it off really brilliantly. And But I just do think, unfortunately, it's a bit too much for the type of audience that will get attracted to this movie initially. Um, but I don't know. How, what were your thoughts on everything? Because let's get into that because my theater was uh, Lincoln Square. Yeah. It's going to be essentially like green haired Bernie bro folks. And there was a decent bit of pink wearing girlfriend groups, etc. Um but nonetheless, basically anyone living in Manhattan, working in Manhattan, going to school at NYU, et cetera, everyone's going to be, for the most part, pretty familiar with third and fourth wave feminism. Yeah. Going to probably be whatever level of, like, at least having those conversations in a living room on mm-hmm. accident. Sometimes the, the house parties, everything's just geared more lefty. And even your dumb, boring house party can quickly become a, a woke um congregation and uh debating about you know intersectionality and everything else like that like Mm -hmm. i don't think these concepts would be foreign to anyone in in that theater probably and i didn't see anybody under the age of 18 i'm gonna guess um maybe a couple exceptions but off memory i don't even i don't i didn't notice anything like that i didn't notice any families at all um I thought that that's an interesting distinction. I'm curious how this movie will fare as time goes on mm. and more reviews come out. I'm going to I'm not going to get too deep into whatever like the feminist theory of the Barbie movie. I was surprised as mentioned before how nuanced and deep it got. Yeah. It, I thought there'd be a message there. It was a very complicated message that gets into the contradictions that are inherent within the message it's talking about and it actually gets into them and then talks about them and becomes like a meta message movie Mm -hmm. i think this was a perfect movie for thirds if you want to call current feminism fourth wave feminism you can some people say it's just an extension of third wave feminism but if you want to look at it as essentially Barbie as a product is kind of born into second wave feminism in that era. And now it's this movie is kind of going through that and catching it up to current feminism. It's absolutely brilliant in having that same dialogue that's been happening in regards to that within the movie itself and having the dialogue that's within feminism with kingdom and kin and the masculine the patriarchy etc and it's having all of these things happen within the movie which i think is brilliant 
because Barbie has become a complicated figure and they deal with it in the movie. Yep. They deal with it on meta levels and they deal with it on very literal specific levels. I loved how far they went into it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily even worth summarizing all of it here because it's so deep that we could literally just recite the whole movie and, <laughs> and talk about what it's saying about this and that. And yeah. that's, the movie is, you could just play this in a lecture hall and this is its own little symposium on feminism and consumerism. My question, though, because my theater, I, it was the Wednesday night blowout screening, the 7 p.m. Everyone who w- was there really wanted to be at this movie. A lot of folks playing dress up. Yeah. They had um, a Barbie doll box outside. They even had a camera crew and people interviewing people afterward to put maybe in commercials or on social sure. media. what do you think about the movie? Especially because the actors and the writers aren't going to be promoting this movie is right. my understanding. Yep. And so there was even some people, this is the kind of crowd we're talking about walking out and seeing the camera crew. I had this little debate with myself of like, should I help promote the movie? Is that scabbing? And I was going to like, if, if I did get interviewed or if they asked, I might thought the only thing I would say is I think the actors and directors, uh, sorry, the writers, and actors did a great job in this film. And that's like the only thing I would be willing to say. Not you got to go buy tickets and support Warner Brothers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the group of young women in front of me just go, this Barbie doesn't scab um, or this Barbie isn't a scab like uh, to cross a picket line, essentially. And I was like, right, that's such a great. OK, fuck. Yeah, this is the crowd that we're in. Very different from your crowd, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. My question, and, and I think this is more theoretical. I don't, I'm assuming you didn't interview these families afterward, but just based on vibes or how you would assume this goes, mm-hmm. there are times where a movie like Get Out will actually move the needle on social justice issues and people will have deep conversations in the car on the way home. Yeah. And there are ways in which movies can be just as important and sometimes more so than a protest than a speech than a politician because these things are affecting people with their families Mm -hmm. where they live and the person can have it can have longer ramifications than someone who is just not going to watch the news not aware of what's happening nowadays protests don't really interrupt the flow of commerce they used to because people had to go out into the market and they couldn't shop that day and so it would stop all, all like production if it's the workers or consume consuming like you couldn't go get groceries if there's nowadays you just get it all online or you go around the way yeah um this is essentially a similar concept where people aren't able to avoid it if they're going to go see the movie and they might go in like get out they may have just thought it was going to be a horror movie and then they have a really deep talk Mm. afterward like so many people did do you think that this movie would have that effect or do you think it more so the question is i think do you think people were offended bothered shaken up a little bit or do you think it was more it was going over their heads and the conversation on the drive home might be more like well that was confusing that was weird i didn't get it kind of thing mm-hmm. does that make sense as, no, no. as like the, the options for because i wasn't in your theater I, I have my own thoughts on how that might go but i'm curious for your for your take. yeah no i i totally get what you're what you're putting out there um I, I think if you were to ask that question to people who live in different parts of the country, you're going to get different answers. So if you were like in the Midwest, I, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to get offended by this movie. It, in my theater last night, God. 
that's I, wild to me. I think but I know a, what you mean. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of the stuff just went over their head, and I don't think they were expecting this movie to be. I don't want to say heady because it it's it. I don't see it as being heady because a lot of the stuff that they mm. did, it didn't really slap you in the face. Like it was very mm. very smart about it, you know. Um, okay. But I think for a more general audience who was expecting a more lighter tone, a more fun, entertaining disco party for two hours. I don't, I know they didn't get what they, what they were expecting. And I heard people even saying as I was walking out, Oh, you know, this part, the saving grace of this movie was this guy or that girl, or when this person showed up. Because it was it it made it sound like otherwise this movie was terrible right. like that you know okay. because because again I I think they went into it just expecting a, a a mindless good time that I guess you would expect with a major IP movie because that is kind of what we're accustomed to getting um, with everything that we've gotten so far you know you go to a Transformers movie you're expecting mind numbing action with no real story right. Uh, you're going to watch uh, any of the Marvel movies. You know, you might get some story there, but again, you're going for the special effects and whatever the case is. Can be fact... more escapism, right? A little bit more Mission Impossible without even the deep questions that Mission Impossible raises. A- absolutely, but here you're getting a major IP, a major IP that was ge- that's geared towards women. That we haven't really gotten a women-centric IP movie like this, and uh, and again a big budgeted mm-hmm. movie too, that has a very heavy message all throughout, or messages all throughout. But people were expecting the mind-numbing, nonsensical. Let's just have a good time kind of thing, you know. Um, and I, I think that's what's going to throw a lot of people off. Now, will the conversation? like the conversation on the ride home help and kind of just explore those like messages that were, you know, sprinkled on throughout. I hope so, because I I think that that's really the main purpose of this movie. It's just like, even though it, most of it was tongue in cheek, it's like, no, this is the reality that we live in. The whole thing about Barbie was built around a time to do one thing, but it didn't really affect the outside world too much so so now there has to be a switch a change in realities and the way of thinking and how the real the real world how that would change an, a property like this and how that affects this kind of not make-believe but imaginary type of existence and how that could affect kind yeah. of societies like that right the whole patriarchy people are in a bubble literally thing. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. We're talking um, about bursting a bubble in that way, right? A conceptual bubble, a political, um, socio-political bubble, right? Uh, just even being in denial about the state of the world and like, oh yeah, that doesn't affect me, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like like I thought they they handled a lot of that stuff brilliantly, you know, from Margot referring to herself as kind of like stereotypical Barbie to now becoming like an ordinary person and wanting to be human and wanting to know how it is to really live a fulfilling life instead of portraying a persona that she was kind of meant to portray. 
you know, I love that whole story plot line there. But then I also love the Ryan Gosling plot line. The Ryan Gosling plot line, like, I was made for you. I was made to be the can to your Barbie. I don't know who I am. And then when he found out in the real world, wait a minute, men get all the respect? Oh, I got to tell the homeboys back home. And then look how it changed the dynamic there and everything like that. And I love how it even played in. Ken, yeah. who listens to too much Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, right. and Andrew yeah. Tate, who's like, yeah. they're supposed to have horses and cars. What's right. going on with this society? Yeah. Holy shit. Holy shit. I should it's... take it by force. Get out of here, bro. But it was just it was so, so funny. Silly and yeah. I'm glad it didn't actually lean into some of the more uh, violent no, jokes, yeah, but it's yeah. just the absurdity of yeah. that logic. Yeah. yeah. And, it, it, <laughs> and, the, and the fact that it didn't have to go that way because it was enough. Right. It was enough just to yeah. say like this, just a small way of thinking can change this bubble that you are living in and how now all the Barbies that were doing everything, they're all now in, in bikinis serving the men and all that. Mm. So giving foot massages and the yeah. like. Was it American Ferrera compared it to, um, I, I might get the history of it wrong, mm-hmm. but essentially the Spanish invading um, he, uh, oh, a yeah. local group and then they bring the influenza or smallpox or something and they just right. didn't have the the defenses for it. And they're like, yeah, Barbie Land didn't have any defenses for patriarchy because they hadn't right. dealt with it before. Right. That was a really good metaphor for yeah. that. Like it just takes one small thing and then now you have... There was almost like Fight Club vibes going on for part oh, yeah. of it, like conceptually, uh-huh. um, which I love that that that's just like in the the DNA of this movie, right? Um, I think there are going to be people who are offended by this movie. I'm hoping that they are shaken up by it, and I hope mm-hmm. because this movie is in some ways like a feminist symposium or a panel of ideas that those folks at least will be encountering concepts that they until then had been in their bubble and filtered out because when you're in the algorithm of Facebook or Twitter and you're not getting the same Facebook posts and tweets as me, you might not ever even see someone making a good case for feminism. People, a lot of people don't even understand what feminism is Mm -hmm. much less some of the nuances within it and how big of an umbrella it is i i did like that this movie embraced in, in the third slash fourth wave feminism concepts of like intersectionality and equity um being important mm-hmm. that essentially like if we're going to make a distinction and it's it's funny because if you just look at the history of barbie second wave is essentially um going to be women can be doctors too and shouldn't it should be able to and even encouraged to was it dress like men do the same things be able and allowed to do the same things and essentially that's where the fight was and then mm-hmm. since then it's grown a whole nother level where it includes more intersectionality um and including um transgender like there's which is where we get the term turf right like folks who exclude it from their feminism and then folks right. who don't but then the uh, uh, so intersectionality um, more inclusivity in mind with feminism, but then also women can be complicated. They don't have to be just this yeah. version of like an American dream and etc. I like that they embrace those concepts. Also, like anything I see from that like bigoted right wing bubble of this movie is. W- w- 
I think the phrase they used was was grooming, but they're talking about how there is a trans actress in this movie who, in my opinion, crushed the role. Oh, yeah. Absolutely incredible performance. Yeah. But just the concept, like it's so far gone, which is why I'm kind of laughing. Like when you're talking about people who are who are bigoted about this, like I'm not trying to deny that that exists. But it is so like the logic of it inherently is so absurd, because when you have one actress Mm-hmm. out of 73 performers in the film and now suddenly this is a radical work of art i'm <laughs> i'm sorry that's just like that's literally not reality to have yeah. 173rd of something as if it's just that's 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 not even a thing or an issue and it's that's just not going to have that crazy effect where we're going to brainwash society by the millions because yeah. of this one actress i did think it was great and i love that they included that person I, I I'm yeah, glad and, that and this they movie were was fan- mindful of Yeah, they were fantastic. I mean it's timing. so good. Yeah. I think the first time uh I saw the actress was in Miss Maisel, and then that's when I oh, first okay. them, heard okay. about them. But actual like quality comedy chops, like mm-hmm. a quality um which that's that's kind of one of the only things if someone does want to say if and usually it's masking the bigotry, but they go, it shouldn't be based on identity, it should be based on qualifications. Well, this person's fucking qualified. So if like that argument gets to go out the window, they did an absolutely great job. Right. And if somebody wants to live in their bubble and in fear and filter out those voices, eventually reality is gonna like you're gonna have to encounter it at some point, which is how a lot mm-hmm. of people actually have their minds changed. Sure. I don't know that this is the movie to do it, but a lot of folks like there's this thing back in civil rights history where legislation is very important and has a huge effect on moving the needle. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. obviously has a huge effect in the civil rights movement and activism rallies, protests, etc., cetera, um, sit-ins and, and, and beyond. Um, there's something where um a prominent civil rights leader, I don't want to misquote anything, so I'm just going to keep it a little bit vague, but mm-hmm. a, a prominent civil rights leader is saying about Jackie Robinson that they had more of an effect on moving the needle because he was one of the first black people in the homes of white people. Like literally, it's a white family watching TV and they're fans of baseball and they see this person and they might see an interview or on a talk show, et cetera, and they go, oh, this is what it would be like to have a conversation with a black person. Oh, they're not actually some very otherized foreign concept that, that is just a totally different world. Like a lot of folks throughout America had never even met a black person before. And yet right. now this is someone who they are just encountering because they enjoy baseball or if somebody enjoys movies, they might be encountering And that's kind of where I'm bringing it to Barbie. There's people who just want to go to the movies and then they encounter the movie of Barbie and are now saying like, oh, I thought that performer was great. Oh, wait, that was that was a trans actress. Oh, OK. It's apparently I've been dealing with this like um, straw, straw man, straw person uh, concept of uh, of what that's like. And then and then this movie having a black female president with Issa Rae, great <laughs> casting there. Having Kate McKinnon as weird Barbie is great casting, regardless of her identity um, and, and um, preferences like absolutely overall they did a good job of having those things but also every person was very well qualified to absolutely oh, yeah. crush the role that they were given i think this movie nailed the assignment i don't know how much it moves the needle i what i don't know because you said it's not heady and that makes me think i may have been misreading this movie 
I thought of this movie as very heady to where there's times where I'm trying to like grapple with the meta text of it. Mm-hmm. It's possible that that's just because like, that's where my head was at, where I was kind of blown away that this movie was going there. And I'm also like thinking through all this history that I'm talking about mm-hmm. while I'm trying to watch a movie. If someone isn't going there with it, because it's going over their head to some degree, I'm wondering if it brings them along part of the way, but they don't feel bogged down. So if it didn't feel heady for you, and I know that like this, these aren't like foreign concepts for you, right? This isn't like the first time you're, you're hearing about these things that a family, like they may have, there's, there's a version of entertainment where it can kind of, um, uh, I've been talking a lot, but there's, entertainment that is more politically effective when it can be just entertaining, but it turns out there's a subtle message underneath that they're not hitting you over the head with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the playwright Edward Albee talked about this and there's like political writing and then there's entertainment that also has that. And he, his, the metaphor uh, is the first will hit you over the head with a message, like with a hammer. The second one its effect can be so subtle. It's like you slice someone's neck with a blade. They think you missed. You walk away. And then they, when they turn to look at you walking away, that's when their head falls off. Mm-hmm. That it can essentially be much more effective as a tool of um, persuasion when it's not hitting you over the head. That the person doesn't run away from it. Right. I'm not sure how, how this movie uh, would work on someone who... But that's what what you said is encouraging to me that it's possible someone could, they might find it confusing or a little more heady than they wanted. But is it possible that somebody would actually encounter this movie and they're not getting bogged down in the ideas of it and the weight of it. And they're instead just having sure the four-year-old and their family probably isn't having the deepest conversation on the way home. There might be a couple follow-up questions of what was the deal with that. Right. But, um, like why did they make why did I, they I'm, like why did they make the pressing Barbie like <laughs> like yeah. how they had that little commercial yeah. like, would, like why like... was her makeup weird or something yeah <laughs> God that was brilliant was um, so good. the fake product placement in the movie was so yeah. good but the but there is a possibility that like you have let's say a preteen a fifteen year old daughter her dad takes her mm-hmm. her to the movies and they have a really good talk afterward oh, about sure. what this is like and yeah. what the pressures of what feminism uh, what it's like to be a young woman in society today and those inherent juxtapositions, contradictions and having to live with that. And I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of those conversations in with the dad understanding the movie, laughing at a lot of the jokes, some of it going over his head, but him not being offended or fully put off and bothered by it, not running from it and then going, Oh, now I finally understand a bit more what it's mm-hmm. like to, to be a young woman. I think movies can be very impactful in that way. You just have, you build more empathy by seeing someone else and really understanding their experience on a deeper level and sure. it could communicate it through. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it also all depends on how open you are to those, to those ideas and, and that way of thinking, you know, and maybe it's true. Maybe the fact that I am so already used to this way of thinking and all that, that for me, a movie like this is not heady. You know, it's kind of like this is the trajectory that we're kind of going now forward with where you see 
even the superhero movies putting more female characters in front of your face and all that. So it's been a transition that we've been seeing happening for years now. Now, I know there's a section of people out there who are just like, oh, here we go. Everyone's becoming woke now. So, yeah, of course, we're going to have walkouts in this movie. Yeah, which I did have last night. There was there was three people that walked out with still a good 20 minutes left in the movie. They walked out like that. Did it seem like they walked out because they weren't enjoying it or they were offended by something? I think they just weren't enjoying it, to be honest with you. I, okay. I think it's like, and like I said, the, the majority... the babysitter called and said we have an emergency. Sometimes who knows? That's what happens. Who, who knows? You never quite know, but okay. It's yeah. not like a certain thing is said and they go, <gasps> and walk out. No, it wasn't anything like that. I, again, I just think a, a lot of people were not expecting this type of movie. I really, that's how it felt like to me, you know, and and again, I, I saw it in the faces of like the parents or the faces of some other people who went to this movie thinking it was going to be, again, a nice rompy Lego movie type of thing, you know, but they didn't get that. I mean, there are parts of that in there for sure. Um, but I think overall it was really if, you know, it was a, a smart movie to the point where. Anyone who has an open mind can see where this movie was going and what this movie was trying to portray. Um, If you are so closed-minded to all that stuff, it could go either way. It could either be like, well, that was dumb. I didn't get any of that stuff. Or stop pushing your female agenda on me, Mr. or Mrs. You know, it could be like one of those things. I was so bothered. I hope they're shaking on the way home. I hope that they cry at some point. Right. I I, Well, this is a anecdotal but i got my blood drawn today and the the nurse we just were talking about weekend plan she's gonna go see barbie i said i saw it and she was essentially expecting something very campy yeah and i told her it's it's got a much deeper feminist message she has hair the color that mine was recently that blue greenish mm-hmm. and she was so much more excited to go to the movie good, good. go said like i was gonna go anyway i just thought it was yeah. gonna be a campy fun silly time uh, and then now is like, oh, hell yeah, let's do this. So yeah. I'm hoping that there will be a bunch of people who actually are pleasantly surprised, which when your expectations are low and then you have an experience like this, if this is what you're wanting out of a movie without even realizing it, it can be a much better experience. I'm curious to see how audiences over time change and the scores go up or down. Yeah. Um, I hope that the bigots are really bothered. I always hope that they're sweaty and red faced. And that that uh, all of the folks who are ready to to embrace a movie like this, or even just curious about it, that they have good conversations, and 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 also, I don't want to underemphasize a lot of laughing. This oh yeah, is one of the hardest I've laughed oh, yeah. in a movie. I'm gonna put it in my life. Like it's right up there with, uh, up until you get to like the comedies of comedies. Like for me, when I was young, Napoleon Dynamite, Zoolander, Anchorman kind of stuff. Like. I had a good five to 10 outbursts of hardcore laughter and another good 10 chuckles throughout, which mm-hmm. is three is a pretty good number when I'm going to the movies by myself. You know what I mean? Like this was yeah. damn funny of a movie, yeah. damn entertaining overall, high quality all the way around. Uh, but then also we've spent a lot of time talking about already the, the depth of it was there at the same time. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, before we get into our final scores for this movie, um, let's let's just quickly talk about what we the things we love the most and the things if there was anything that you liked the least. So quickly for me, it was I I think the the overall star of this movie is actually Ryan Gosling. I think he is like the runaway star in my opinion because. <laughs> 
just how how much of a parody he was in kind of of the social awareness of how men are in the world today and how that can quickly change good or bad you know in any given instance i just love that and plus the chemistry he had with margo was so good too like they they worked well really off of each other the showdown that oh, yeah. he had with simu liu was just so hilarious the, the the little rivalry they had there is just so funny like both of them did a really good job but i'm seeing a lot of people really talking about ryan like it's ryan for them that was like the big hit of this movie um, and, and I, and I agree. I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think Michael Sarah too, it's a nice little, like, even though he was kind of like a background kind of character, whenever he showed up, he showed up and it was actually pretty, pretty funny. The one thing I didn't like, and again, I, and I, I've talked about this before is I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm tired of Kate McKinnon's shtick. It's the same shtick every time. You know, and yes, it did fit in a movie like this because she was the crazy Barbie, you know, the abused Barbie that everyone kind of has, right? But it's a little bit too much for me, I think, already. I, I think I just have that already in my head. Like, every time she shows up, she's like, I'm like, all right, what wacky shit is she going to do now? Oh, there she goes. She's going to do her splits. She's going to have that crazy look on her face. But I love how they kind of acknowledge it, too, you know, and they kind of poke fun at it. So that made me not cringe so much at it but it, it it's you know still it, it's it's that's when in and the whole will ferrell character i feel like it's a character that he's played multiple times already so i felt like it was just a regurgitation the, the buffoon, yeah the hilarious <laughs> absurd taking himself too seriously yeah he's obviously in on the joke but his character isn't right um when he takes the key card and tries to exit he just throws it, <laughs> he just throws point, it. I, that's when i yeah that was one of those moments where I just laughed way too hard. Yeah, he just like throws it, and it's like, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, we didn't need it!" <laughs> like when the thing just opens. <laughs> so good, so good. Kate McKinnon, I think that because of this role, it worked really well. Yeah. Um, and she, if it had been just she's a random character that happens to have that same comic timing and yeah. the shtick that that Kate McKinnon does, but overall, I thought that that was why that character worked for me. I'm a Gosling head through and through. To me, I, I've said it before, he is the Paul Newman, uh, Steve McQueen sure. of our era for me. And I just looked at his letterbox. I've seen 20 of his top 20 most popular movies. Like wow. when you rank, when they rank them out, everything below that, there's a couple like horror films uh, and then a bunch of documentaries, basically. It's essentially every single movie except two. Um, I so I I actually wasn't that impressed, but I have such a critical eye for him where I sure. am aware of any time he's doing something differently than he were like, oh, he could have done that a little better. But overall, he crushed the assignment. I'm going to just say cast like I'm not going to get into every performance cast top to bottom writing, directing the cinematography and the set design was very clever. The one thing that like. I didn't love love was there was one time there were pink animated clouds too, but it's the same moment when the car flips upside down and lands mm -hmm. and those pink oh, animated clouds okay. happen. Yeah. Like a Roger rabbit, uh, space right. jam concept. Kind of, kind of like why, the, the, why was the there one time, unless I missed other times, but it was literally animated like pencil, like that to me, didn't Greece, that kind of thing happens in Greece, like an in intro. Right. But it's mm -hmm. essentially that, 
I, I, there might be a name for that, but it's an augmented animation. Mm -hmm. But if that was a thing throughout, I must have missed it. But I think that only happened one time. And so that jarred me out of the movie for a split second. I go, huh, is that going to be a thing now? Is Are we now in some new dimension? And maybe they're doing it with the transition from the real world to the fake world. But everything was basically like our normal world and then sets, like very obvious and and not going to go on about it, but they they put a lot of thought into it and they were re referencing like old Hollywood sets where they would paint a background that looks yeah. realistic, but it's obviously not. They did a lot of that stuff. I thought it was brilliant. The opening number and the music, absolutely brilliant throughout, but especially the opening number where it gets you in the mood for it, the Lizzo song that you yeah. that you missed in the first time you saw it. Yeah, it sets the tone. The test screening. It totally sets the tone, yeah. Brilliant. And it's introducing... And I'm wondering, too, in the test screening, if there's some feedback they got. We need this to be funnier quicker. We need it to make sense quicker, It get into it more. If I have a complaint, um, a bigger one, the only thing I can really think of is there was a little too much back and forth. And it's maybe more of a me thing. I don't like it in the road trip comedy when the friends fight and bicker and they go back and forth. And we know they're going to work through it. And we just spend too much time in that moment. There was a lot of Ken versus Barbie land back and forth, the real world and this world back and forth. I wish it had been a little bit more succinct. I don't know how I would have necessarily done it. I'm not even saying it's possible or that I would have even liked it more. But the times that I enjoyed the movie the least was when I felt a little bogged down by spending so much time in that conflict mode. Whereas if they'd done maybe a 10 to 15 minute shorter movie and it was just a succinct version mm -hmm. because it ends up being this silly beach battle scene which is pretty absurd i don't know that you need to have as much work showing the barbies getting the revolution up and running mm -hmm. maybe you didn't need as much work in the real world showing ryan like there was montages yes ryan gosling discovering the patriarchy was un <laughs> unbelievable the because it's, it's so really funny. dark humor yeah. if you look at like patriarchy and and then also the consumerist messaging in this movie uh, we spent a lot of time talking about feminism but if you look at like patriarchy as a force of evil in this world of really which i'm not going to get into it. I, I don't need to keep fighting bigots uh here just leave a comment if you want i'll fight you there but if you look at like repressing people, holding them down, restricting their freedom and anti-democratic concepts that are inherent in patriarchy, it's really dark gallows humor. Mm. But I'm guessing, and I don't know, and there were times I'm thinking this might be bothering the audience who's wearing pink and girl girlfriend's night out. My honest guess, and I don't know, is that it was more gallows humor. That it was like, yeah, this sucks and we should be making fun of this. And it's not like this is a new concept and we're rubbing it in people's faces. It's just like this is showing how absurd that thing is that I deal with every day at work. Um, but overall, I wish it had been a little bit tighter in some, in that, that period of the movie where we're doing a little bit too much back and forth and the, the mission where they have to get the Barbies to, to revolutionize mm -hmm. I, th through the end. And then Margot Robbie, because and maybe it's because I had such a heady experience with the movie, but even the ending when Barbie is finally like, we're going through like literal waves of progression of this character until she's having this super meta moment of, I don't know what I want. And mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time in that space and having conversations with Will Ferrell, her friends, Ken, who are we, what do we want? And then finally she has a combo with the creator of Barbie and it's a very deep 
convo. Like it actually reminds me to throw in another movie reference of the matrix kind of conversation with the with architect like the architect or yep. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. But then when it wrapped, maybe I would have liked the movie less if they hadn't spent so much time there because when it wrapped, I thought, holy shit, they did that. And I loved the way it ended. So overall, if we're talking scores, I give it five out of five. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a big score. Um, touch base on some quick things. They did do the animation stuff like throughout the movie. Every time there was like the sparkles coming out of Ken and all that, that's the same type of animation okay. as a little hard stuff. That. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So, Maybe so this it one just felt a little out of nowhere, but yeah, you're sure. Right. That it it felt like it felt like an emoji. You know, like when you like text yeah. someone or you do like kind of like the live TikTok the and all that. The and then you, you see like the, you yeah. know, like Gangnam, Gangnam, all that kind of stuff like that. It felt like a sticker, you know. So I think that that's sense. that was kind of like the look they were going with there. Um, okay. And I do also agree, like I felt like there was some editing issues still, which I also thought was there when I saw it the first time back in February. Like a lot of your feedback. Hey, I'm a small voice in a giant pond. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like like the first encounter Margot had with Ruth, I thought there were some moments there where they stayed on a shot too long, where there wasn't anything going on, and I thought they could have like tightened that up a little bit. Um, And and lastly, I that whole beach fight scene between the Kens, it 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 felt very Rocky Horror type to me. You know, because yeah, they, they're singing honestly, and it. like, oh my god, it was so good! It was That's so great. Me. I love a yeah. musical and the dance fight, <laughs> and then it transitioned Brilliant. into like the the giant, like kind of like almost grease montage kind of thing going on. I'm just like, oh my god, so good. you're you're doing so much good stuff here. Um, yeah, for me, I gave it a four. I gave it a four out of five uh, on Letterbox. Um, I liked it. You know, do you have rankings? Is it closer? I, I don't. It, it's definitely closer. Sure, it's definitely closer to four and a half for me. Um, okay. But yeah, it's it's not a four. Uh, it's not. A, I'm sorry, it's not a five. Unlike the next movie we're going to be talking about. Ooh, I'm giving a hint. Oh, a little I'm hint. Not gonna, hint. Yeah, I'm going to oh. tease mine. People, who, people <laughs> might be bothered by my score on this next movie, um, one way or the other. But yeah, my five out of five is going to be surprising in in light of of where we go. I'm excited for this. Okay. I'm yeah. Yeah. It. No, it was great. Yeah. And of course, you know, obviously, we would love to hear your thoughts about the Barbie movie if you if you had a chance to see it, or if you haven't, let us know your thoughts about our conversation and join in on the conversation as well because we would love to hear from you. Um. But yeah, let's yep. transition into. I, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Bigots, please hit me up in the comments. Tag me. I would love it. In the meantime, Renee, I'm going to let you go off and absolutely lean into Oppenheimer, okay? Yeah. I want to hear. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I think we, we don't need to worry so much about the bigots. Uh, they'll, they'll find us or find whoever eventually, somehow, some way. Um... Hey, everyone. Just a quick message here that this episode is brought to you by a new shop that I just launched. That's right. PopCouture.shop is a new merch shop where you can not only find Loki Geek and eventually Movie Time merchandise, but you will find merchandise dedicated to some of the biggest things in pop culture at the moment. Whether it's movies, TV, video games, memes, or anything of the like, you'll find some of the homages to some of the biggest things that are happening currently at the time. You'll also 
also eventually will find some cool retro throwbacks in he here and there. The shop just launched, so bear with me. I'm filling in the inventory, but you'll find new stuff dropping every week. But to help celebrate the launch of this brand new merch shop, I'm giving all of you, the listeners, subscribers here at the Lowkey Geek channel, a nice little discount to check it out. So if you use the code LOWKEYGEEK at checkout, you'll get yourself a nice little 15% discount. So definitely check it out. This is another great way to help support the channel and show your love and support for everything that we do here. But it's also a brand new venture of my own, you know, just going out into the retail market. So any support that you could throw our way would be greatly appreciated. So once again, that is Pop Couture, P-O-P-C-O-U-T-U-R-E dot shop, popcouture.shop, a shop for geeks who are chic. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, but before we continue, I wanted to quickly talk about Bulletproof Coffee. Bulletproof Coffee is my favorite coffee of choice to start off my mornings with. Why? Because it's clean coffee. What does that mean? Well, one, there are no chemicals in it. Why? Because they go through this multi-step process of making sure that all of their beans are fully clean and free of any chemicals so that when you get the beans delivered to you, it is the pure beans, the pure coffee, the goodness that you've been wanting, the taste, the flavor, and the nutritional value as well without worrying about any added chemicals or anything else put into the mix there. Um, it also doesn't have that weird acidic taste that some coffees give you. I don't know how about you, but for me, some coffees kind of give me that weird sensation in my stomach, makes me a little burpy, and it kind of drags me down a little bit instead of really waking me up, uh, which is something that I need for my coffee every day. Bulletproof also offers a lot of keto-friendly snacks and supplements, anything that you need to kind of add to your everyday nutritional needs, add to your diet, and make you and pretty much transforms the way you feel uh, every day. So uh, for a limited time, if you use this code on that you see on the screen right now, LOWKEYGEEK, all caps, one word, you can get 15% off your order. So what what is it better than that, right? Check out the link in the description of this episode. Use this code, get yourself your discount, and make your mornings a little bit more bulletproof with Bulletproof Coffee. Now, back to the episode. Um, but yeah, let's go into the the Christopher Nolan, what some people are calling opus, masterpiece. I, I'm seeing all of these words being thrown around online and all that. Um, but yeah, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer which is a subject matter that I am a little bit familiar with. Um, not so much because of what I learned in school, but because of stuff that I've learned outside of school, kind of like my own research growing up and all that. Um, not saying that I was obsessed with the A-bomb or anything of that case, but, you know, like sometimes I get into those modes of research and especially when it came to the bombing of Hiroshima, because uh, I always remember one of the few times I visited the United Nations was obviously with schools, uh, with my school on school trips. And if you've, if you've ever visited the UN, especially around the time that I was growing up, you'll notice that uh, there is a section in the UN that talks about the bombing of Hiroshima. And they have like artifacts from Japan and, and all that. And that always stuck in my head because of how, how absurd that there was a, an event like that that happened in real life. 
So, of course, something like that stuck with me for a long time. So, of course, I did my own reading and research about how all that came about. But I wouldn't say I'm like an expert about Oppenheimer and the creation of such weapons of mass destruction and all that. So, of course, I was very much interested in in this movie and how Nolan was going to portray this character and do his little JFK biopic spin on it all. And of course, knowing that this is Christopher Nolan, I, you're going to be expecting some sort of cinematic event here. I was not expecting to experience such a huge cinematic experience like I did with Oppenheimer. Um, the movie at three hours, for the most part, didn't feel like three hours at all. It felt like it, the pacing was well done. It flowed really damn well. And it zoomed by. It really, for me, it kind of zoomed by. Um, I love how the way I feel about the movie is that for the first half of the movie, you are really going through a kind of thrilling biopic of this character's journey, getting to that goal of creating this this weapon that they've been like really like trying to produce and and you know test out and all that. Then you have the major event, which is the first test that kind of like, you know, solidifies that success, right? And then the movie takes a quick turn into this horrific kind of emotional journey of the aftermath of such things. And I found myself depressed, sad, like kind of like, you know, having like stressed out basically because of like the the kind of like political drama twist that the movie took and the the moral struggle that Oppenheimer had to go through you know with everything that's happening the investigation of but of the communists and all that and kind of how the government trying to pin something on someone just for scapegoat reasons or whatever the case is. And then I love the conversation that he has with Einstein about you're eventually going to get an award because of all your achievements, but it's not going to be because of you. It's really going to be because of your country like that. And that's their way of kind of blanketing the stuff that's happened, you know, and trying to get the onus away from them, but then kind of like patting themselves on the back, like, yeah, you know, like, you know, we, we were, we're proud that we were able to accomplish such, such things or whatever the case is. Brilliant directing, as to be expected from Nolan. Brilliant score by Ludwig Göransson, who, if you're familiar with The Mandalorian or Black Panther, my God. And, Gambino's four albums. Right. Community. So damn good. Dude's a because, Tony away from an EGOT. Yeah crushed it here which is amazing i mean it was just so good all throughout and it's interesting too because um you know nolan usually works with um han zimmer so it was interesting to see him you know use ludwig and i thought that was really great to see uh ludwig produce a score the cinematography oh my god it is a hoyt van hoytemer I love that guy's name because it's just such a great flowing name. My, everything in this movie was just beautiful, beautifully shot and all that. The acting was probably the most top-notch acting you'll get with such a huge, huge cast. People who were in this movie that you didn't even know were in this movie and they would show up even if it's just a five-minute role. 
holy cow i was just like it's like almost it's like name dropping you know it's like all of a sudden bam 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 i'm like where are these people coming from you know and it, it kind of reminds me of the conversation you and i had about wes anderson and how a lot of actors will you know take a lesser salary just to work with wes anderson because wes anderson is a great filmmaker and storyteller right nolan is now that same type of persona too has been like that for a while but i feel like even more so now i feel like everyone was like can i be in your movie oh do you need that or maybe chris will just ask someone randomly hey i i have a role for you do you mind do you have like a weekend free and they're just like oh yeah of course i'll go out and, and join you on that production it was just so amazing seeing all of these brilliant actors old and new in in this uh film and for and I will say before I switch it off over to you, for a movie that didn't utilize any CG really, the effect that they had on that on the bomb test, that being real, and we you and I kind of joked about this before when we kind of read the the headline that oh Christopher Nolan doesn't want to use CG so he builds a real bomb to explode for a camera we were laughing at it like of course Christopher Nolan would do something crazy like that but yeah. did it really look great on film oh my gosh that thing looked from and the sound the way how it just the blast would go and everything's silent but you just hear the breathing of everybody. And then how all of a sudden, like the aftershock will bring in the sound and it kind of blasts in your ears and all that. Oh, my God. Just so good. Like, this is a testament of filmmaking at its best. Um, And the 70 millimeter, you can understand why he wanted people to really see it this way, because it really takes full advantage of this type of of camera usage and and film work. Um, Yeah, I'm so glad I went to see it in 70 millimeter. And it just really felt like old school cinema. You know, like I could tell I was watching film and not a digital projection. You know, so it was nice to see the the cigar burns like every now and then or like the little, you know, the little um, hair hair lines that would pop up now and then. It's like it just felt like old school cinema. It was just so good. Now, you saw it in IMAX, so I don't know if it felt that same way because IMAX tends to be a little bit more cleaner than like a regular projection. But yeah, what was your overall feeling when you went to watch this movie? I'll, I'll get to that. Um, the, as I try to mentally transition, because this is still weekend Barbenheimer, <laughs> somebody did a really good job of laying out the similarities just in the production of these movies. You have a husband and wife production team. Yep. You have a director slash writer who has two screenwriting Oscar nominations and one directing uh, Oscar nomination. A movie put out by a major studio about a famous figure of history and a star-studded cast all throughout. The things you're saying about Christopher Nolan's cast are also true in Barbie. Sure. I'm really excited to see. I think it'll tell a lot. I, I think there'll be good conversations of people who do the Barbenheimer thing and say, which one did you like more and why? Yeah. And I don't think that there's necessarily a wrong answer. No. But I'm excited to get into kind of our thoughts and, and views on the movie overall. Mm-hmm. Expectations is going to be a big part of the game because when you go to a Nolan movie, you expect a cinematic masterpiece. Sure. And that might be less so if you when you look at Barbie as IP, but if you look at it as you know the Gerwig and Bombach of it all, it, it, it you would expect similar, um, yeah. at least closer. 
I would also say before you continue, yeah. I would also say that the the age range of audiences between both movies, I think, are going to be very yeah. uh, different too. Where yeah. you're definitely going to get a more younger crowd going to see Barbie, and you're definitely going to get more of an older crowd going to see Oppenheimer because of kind of like I guess the historical nature of it too, because that's definitely what I saw at my theater uh, last night. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing I'll I'll add to get into what you were saying is we didn't know this before because that was just the similarities of what went into the movie mm-hmm. in pre-production. The it, the actual movie, now that we've seen it, both are dealing with mortality, existential conundrums, and these moral quandaries that characters are facing. I thought th- that there's a through line there as well. I am very excited to see... I This is the weekend of Barbenheimer. It's possible at Oscar time we're having these same conversations when both could be up for director... Both could be up for picture. Both could be up for writing. Um, I think they would both be adapted screenplay, although I'm not sure how that works on Barbie with IP if it's not based on a previous text. I honestly don't know. Um, I think Lego Movie might be a question, like a way we could look at that. Um, If off memory that was nominated, I could be wrong. Um, I don't... uh, The score, I'm not sure on Barbie. Uh, I know that the music was high quality, you might get an original song uh, nomination in there. That'd be interesting. It was, there was moments that are more like a musical, right? Where it's mm-hmm. literally someone is describing what's happening on screen. To go back to what you're talking about with the score and Ludwig Gorenson, uh, he also did the score for Tenet, which is the first time Nolan didn't use right. Hans Zimmer. That's right. Um, yep. In a while, at least, because Hans Zimmer was doing Dune, the right. very beloved uh, score for that movie. Mm-hmm. I think that. Just overall, when you're talking about the IMAX 70 millimeter, I didn't notice a lot of any cigar burn. I noticed a few times there'd be like a little line on the screen or something like that. I also wasn't sure to what degree that was intentional um, from when they were actually making the movie versus just what what kind of incidentally happened when they're processing the film, etc. But the filmic and cinematic qualities of a Nolan movie, there's something cool. Both movies are... It, point like they're dealing with like 1950s era movie making quality Mm -hmm. we'll say um the with oppenheimer it was very clear all throughout that this director is taking himself and the cinematography and the filming very seriously before we get into plot and what we liked and performances etc overall it was an absolute masterpiece like it was it was incredible intense as hell mm-hmm. it's not what i expected which is going to be explained part of my part of my feelings and thoughts about aspects of the movie and there's certain things about it that i didn't i didn't enjoy necessarily but i do want to start just overall absolutely amazing piece of, of cinema i love history um i actually have been listening to the audiobook of the that this is based on there's one biographer of Oppenheimer's who said this is the most accurate movie he's ever seen. Mm. And there's a lot of biopics out there. A lot of them play with facts and history, and a lot of them are very accurate. This one, it seems like to a T that there are not factual inaccuracies in the movie, or if there are, they're so few and far between or minimal that the actual story of this dude's life, it's the kind of thing you Google afterward and go, what's true and what's not? It's going to basically be true down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, before we get into it, I do want to just say, I absolutely think it is an amazing piece of work. Uh, my audience loved it. There were less applause than Barbie, but also a very different audience and a little bit more of that gut punch feeling that you get at, at a Nolan sure. movie where people yeah. aren't leaving this theater going, woo, what a fun time. Instead, like people really thinking about the fate of the world uh, more so, which means it was as effective as if people were, you know, gleefully clapping and giggling throughout a comedy, right? It did its right. job very damn well. Yeah, no. Um, what, sure. was your, what was your theater experience like? for this movie what how were i'm assuming it was full it it was it was extremely full um i th i think it was at this point sold out when i went to see it um but again it was the only theater there that had 70 millimeter and i think a lot of people knew that that was the way to go watch it um and yeah like i mentioned or like i was alluding to before older crowd you know, like I saw definitely an older generation there, you know, and it's a mix of like like our ages, you know, older generation, some younger and all that. Um, I, I felt this compared to Barbie, people definitely clapped in Oppenheimer at the end. Well, no one really clapped at all at Barbie. Uh, but then again, it's versa uh, for me. Interesting. Yeah. You're you're comparing also a 5 p.m. showing to a 950 showing like that so it's hard to compare that like if i had two Wait, people which, did we talk about which order we saw them in because i also want to hear that oh yeah experience, that makes a huge difference and everyone yeah. had the big debate one of my favorite clips i saw people going over do you do the barbie chaser after oppenheimer do you do barbie before and then end right. the night with a three hour long marathon movie the intense right. one one person went as deep as you do Barbie, then Oppenheimer, then Barbie again. There's one <laughs> third comedian on YouTube um, uh, did he eventually gets to the most absurd versions, including the Oppen Barber Acerol, where it's you go from one to another every 10 minutes throughout, and then every five minutes throughout, and then every oh my minute. God. And, just, and he goes, and then you do that until you've seen them both three times, and it's just so absurd, right? But that's yeah. one of the memes of Barbenheimer is asking people, which one do you see in what order? What, um, for me, I did Wednesday night Barbie blowout and then Thursday Oppenheimer. I'm glad I did, or I, it may have messed up the second or first one because of sure. do you eat between them if you have time and all those like practical questions. And then if you're tired and your eyes are burning, maybe you don't appreciate the second movie as much. I'm glad I did separate them, even though I did miss the true Barbenheimer same day experience. What, what did you do and how, how was that? Yeah, so I definitely started with Oppenheimer with the Barbie chaser afterwards, or the palate cleanser, as I like to did. say it. A lot of, um, that, was the, that was the smartest answer, according to everyone. That's the go-to how you should do it. Even though I that's a, even though that's the smartest answer, I think if I didn't see Barbie already before, I would have it would have ruined my experience if I saw Barbie for the first time last night. <laughs> Because I couldn't stop thinking about what I just saw in Oppenheimer. Because again, it's just that's the it, problem. It that's was just with the one of chaser. those. Yeah, it was just one of those major cinematic experiences that you know you you these are that's the type of movie that if you and I still work together, we would be having our three to four hour conversations at work about this damn movie because that's just how big of that movie was. If I started with Barbie first. You know, even though it was such a well done movie, you know, I it will be easier for me to not have to think about all that stuff while I'm watching Oppenheimer, because it's it's one of those things where I could just revisit that in my mind later on. 
you know. But with Oppenheimer, it kind of haunts you after, like after you see it, and it kind of like lingers around, lingers around so much. But by the time I got home last night, which was like two in the morning, and something I recommend to to you and to a lot of people is uh, the Criterion Channel has a great documentary called The Day After Trinity. Um, and it's a documentary uh, about Oppenheimer and all that. And if you really want to know more about the people involved and, and really more of an account of Oppenheimer through the people that knew him, that is a great documentary to watch. I watched that last night. I was dead ass tired and I just went ahead and watched that um, because I was just such in that Oppenheimer kind of mindset and it never escaped yeah. even after, even, you know, watching Barbie afterwards. The didn't do it, the chaser. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's the problem with the chaser concept. Is yeah. You're now dealing with, are we all going to die of nukes and have we murdered ourselves out of history? Right. Existential quandary. And then you go try to have an LOL's time at Barbie. I, I don't know that I would have done it in that order. I yeah. honestly disagreed with the Barbie chaser concept, although it does make sense if Oppenheimer doesn't linger during your Barbie experience and afterward. Right. I right. similarly watched, I didn't watch that documentary, but I watched interviews with Oppenheimer afterward and did some some diving on the, the history yeah. there. Started an audio book on the walk home, et cetera. I'm, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be doing that after watching this movie because it's one of those movies that kind of lends to more, you know, intrigue on this character and just that time of America. Um, and, and I think it's just an interesting part of our history. Um, I have a cousin who did the opposite. She saw Barbie first and then went to see Oppenheimer. And she said she told me she's glad she did it that way because what she experienced watching Oppenheimer would have totally lingered on way too much longer and it would have ruined her enjoyment of Barbie, which she really loved too. So it, it's, it's, it's a uh, mileage varies when it comes to the, the order you watch it in. And they will know more when people are going through it today. Cause uh, again, we are recording this on Friday in the afternoon and a lot of people are going to be heading to their Barbenheimer kind of combo viewing probably like around this time right now. Cause like I said, Oppenheimer's a three-hour movie uh, with Barbie just clocking under two. Yeah. Did your cousin go with anyone? Did did, did She, she went solo. She went solo. Yeah. Okay. She, she's not married. Or Sorry. Is she married? No. Okay. I'm just curious. We'll talk about it more <laughs> off air. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so where can we even start with a movie like Oppenheimer? I mean... We we obviously we we talked briefly about the cinematic experience of it, you know, kind of the the way it looked in seventy millimeter, the the a brilliant usage of that type of uh, format and all that. You want to just dive into the the, the performances because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the performances in this movie. I think the the story of this movie. If I'm boiling it down, when we just have the con- like, if we're gonna have a quick combo about it, what's not necessarily an elevator pitch, but what's yeah. the takeaways? Mm-hmm. It's the film editing. I, I, you can watch plenty of YouTube videos, I'm sure, breaking down every Nolan sure. movie and how he does what he does, etc. I don't think that that's necessarily our place. The actual cultural takeaways for me are how he told this story and the characters involved. That cast is absolutely incredible. What brilliant casting for the lead. And also, oh. do, are we on this on this show? Are we doing Killian Murphy or is it Cillian? Do, it's, I, Killian, I, I, right? it's Killian. That's how I always knew it. Just as, making yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Wow. Wow. The this cheekbones is... were their own character. Oh, my in the God. Movie. Let's and, be very and, clear. and the hairline and the hairline, too. I mean, it's so pristine. But this is a career defining role. Like this really yeah, like this, this he is isn't on the front of the movie poster very often. Yeah, he's in in Dunkirk. His face is one of the big takeaways from the movie, like the way his character looked. Same same face all throughout this movie. This like I am shocked by the horrors of war yeah. and how what have I done? Um, and he's stuck in between these. You could do a whole thing on it being a similar moral quandary of the two characters mm-hmm. and but how expressive that face is yeah. and just. It's. I, I would go and say Peaky Blinders is probably his. He's now a household name for a lot of people who weren't into. He did a lot more indie movies before sure. and was more of an actor's actor. But damn, for cinema, this is going to be. This might be his magnum opus. His in the obituary. This is the first movie that they mention. We'll see. But however long from now, when we're looking back, this might be the top build. Uh, you know, movie in his in his repertoire. Yeah. Holy shit. It's so good. So, so good. And, and yeah, he's, I mean, obviously we are familiar with him because he's worked with Nolan so many times already in the past, um, which I always appreciate with Nolan. Again, we have those kind of directors that love working with the same people over and over again. Killian has just been one of those guys that he's worked with constantly, like almost through all his movies. Um, but Robert Downey Jr., and I think for him being a standout here is important to note because I think me included, I, I was always curious and wondering now that he's not doing Iron Man anymore, what, how's his career going to look like? You know, because every time I see him, I just think of Tony Stark. I just think of Iron Man because he's done that role for so damn long. Now this is a great kind of, all right, I'm done with that part of my career here's my next step into something and wow his his portrayal of of lewis strauss just his performance overall was brilliant it was so good so so good he had some monologues near the end that were like give that dude a supporting actor nomination cringe worthy monologues too cringe worthy monologues Um, that's, that's was part of what was interesting to me is the way that the movie became in some ways, a parallel of their two stories, almost like an Aaron yeah. Burr and Hamilton kind of right. concept, like these characters who keep crossing paths and then mm-hmm. end up becoming essentially nemeses. Um, I didn't, that's one of the things I didn't love about the movie. I wish they'd either set that up more earlier on as that being the dynamic there. Again, same as as my any complaints I had about Barbie. I might not have actually liked it more, but I did feel a little thrown. When I go, oh, this is what we're doing. We're doing back and forth, showing these mm-hmm. two men being in similar places later in life, without actually having a lot of oh, here's when they really, you know, when their bitter rivalry started. Partially with this movie, and and we can get into the editing and the way the story is told after we talk about cast. But yeah. it's partially because you're cutting moments from the future, the past, current day, however you want to look at that, um, all throughout the movie. So that's maybe mm-hmm. part of why. And it did. It was effective. So I'm not trying to say it didn't work at all. But I was surprised that Strauss became the second lead of the movie, you could say. Right, yeah. Um, uh, Matt Damon's up there, and his wife, uh, uh, Emily Blunt's character, is up there. Yeah. There's other characters who kind of, like, take... Um, they're the second lead for a chunk of the movie, or at least mm-hmm. for a chunk of the narrative 
even if it's not in the same order. But by the end, it's kind of Robert Downey Jr. is gets he would be the supporting actor nomination, I think. Oh, for this sure. Might be a um, uh, what's the movie Banshees uh, situation where you have two or three people nominated for supporting. That could be interesting. Yeah. yeah. But damn, if if Killian Murphy isn't winning Best Actor, I want to see who the competition is. We might have if if Bernstein gets uh, nominated uh, released this year, we might have a Bradley Cooper in there. We might have a few other roles that mm-hmm. that will deserve a spot but if it's holy shit it's so hard to even think about this movie without thinking of killian murphy's face as oh. oppenheimer let alone the performance and it's a really subdued highly intellectual character yeah who's doing a lot of thinking and characters even complaining and this is a thing in his real life where he's a very kind of some of the complaints people had about obama where he's so contemplative and he's not giving straight answers to questions that are as soundbitey mm-hmm. it's really it's much easier to do a character who has one-liners and just very compact little speeches yeah. this dude you're seeing him do a lot of hand wringing a lot of thinking and to have it still be such an effective performance is incredible and and a testament to that casting and the skills of killian murphy no for sure and and i guess also because of how intellectual the character is and 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 really how academic he is um it it was kind of surprising to see how much of a womanizer he was too and how he got himself into a lot of these type of relationships um which leads me to first of all this movie has two of my five crushes in hollywood right now and that is uh emily blunt who you mentioned already before and florence Pugh. i mean the relationship he had with Florence Pugh, uh, who played Gene Tatlock in, in the movie. Unbelie- and, and unbelievable the 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 risk that they took in I, I don't want to say risk, but at least uh, the the bravery in full on nudity for both of them, right? <laughs> like like we didn't see we didn't see well, Murphy's we, we didn't see did we? Pa- we didn't see package but i mean he was right. he was pretty much sitting in the lounge chair uh, without any clothes on and there's and some one time one of my favorite moments he's not in the lounge chair he is in his interrogation oh my god yeah yeah when they transition from one place to another yeah. and it's showing him in that mindset and yeah. how just vulnerable he is yeah brilliant moment yeah Holy and shit. So also times where it's like this is actually effective nudity for storytelling. Not yeah. Just oh, look at hot people being naked. One thousand really done in my mind in that regard and warranted in the end. Yeah. I don't. It didn't feel like they shoehorned that in after the fact. It was like, okay, here's why we're doing this, folks. And I wouldn't be surprised if both actors were like, oh, okay, this is necessary. Let's. Do yeah. It. Yeah. And 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 also same scene in in the interrogation in the kind of interrogation room as he's naked and then also changes to Florence Pugh riding him on the chair but this is from the view of Emily Blunt because now she can't get it out of her head that you know they had an and affair she makes eye contact oh with my her god and us and yeah. I felt it and I was like <laughs> no very like visceral every human who's ever experienced any amount of jealousy definitely felt yeah. the thing of it in it was moment. so visceral you know that feeling yeah. when your mind's eye is like kind of like obsessed with this concept yeah cool. Yeah, but but yeah, Florence Pugh's performance was so well done and so good in this movie. I, again, someone who um, definitely has 
um, problems with reality and, and mental uh, health and all that. You know, someone who just doesn't know what she wants and how they were, you know, like you get into that moment where you have two people who are very toxic for each other. But, you know, Oppenheimer, he just loves he loves to love and he loves to care for people, which is funny because the most common piece of feedback that I've read about Oppenheimer is that he has a great heart. And I think that's one of the narratives, the narratives in the story where it's like someone who has such a great heart was able to create such a monstrous thing that destroyed millions or destroyed thousands, right? That has such of uh, an impact to destroy life. But yet this person in his own personal life had such a strong heart, like for people and, and those around him, which is it's just a, an interesting kind of uh, dynamic there um, as far as characters are concerned. But yeah, Florence Pugh was great. Emily Blunt, a force to reckon with in this movie as the, the headstrong kind of wife there of his. Um, I love... I love that moment where, you know, Oppenheimer finds out that Gene took her life and he decides to ride off into the forest by himself and she finds him. And that's where she finds out for the first time that they had, you know, a meeting and, and kind of they, they slept with each other. And she, in her moment of anger and frustration, she still knows to tell him he needs to snap out of it because people are depending on him to do what he has to do and get out of this funk that he's in because of this. Don't let this affect you kind of thing. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I felt every moment of that. And I was just like, that is. And again, that's a testament to the acting there. Seriously, the Emily Blunt character, I really loved her interrogation moment. She yeah. definitely had um, uh, some some good lines in there. Mm -hmm. And. I, again, it's kind of similar to the Robert Downey Jr. thing. Part of, a lot of the issues I have with this movie were the order in which things happen, okay. which the way he told it, I'm still impressed to take this movie and this story, put it over three hours, and yet it's jumping around the whole time, kind of like a Nolan movie can do or a Quentin Tarantino where it's nonlinear. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's like one minute here, and we're jumping around so much. That said... The womanizing thing also caught me off guard, especially near the end. There was a, a mention to a third woman, which was right. supposed to be kind of like not quite prestige, but like we're doing like a little like you didn't expect that, did you? Even though right. we referenced it earlier, right? A little bit of a uh, M. Night Shyamalan thing. <laughs> um, it's a twist, but I wish they'd done a little bit more work, not just showing that like oh he had an affair with the love of his life, but like this dude's got swag. I yeah. wish they developed that a little more earlier on. And then, and that's the womanizing in general. The Emily Blunt's character, though, um, showing, and this is a lot of movies and biopics nowadays are dealing with the great man concept, the great man of history. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example of this man affected the history of, of humankind. And they are the ones who are the authors of the future and instead, there's, you know, the, the line used to be behind every great man, there's a great woman. And this movie does a good job of showing the humanity of Oppenheimer and then showing the strength of Emily Blunt's character. Yeah. Along with, I'll call it the weakness of uh, Florence Pugh's character. 
the woman was going through some damn things and yeah. it's it's in my mind kind of a victim and a, a tragic character emily blunt's character is also a victim of oppenheimer's uh misdeeds if you will mm-hmm. um there's another we uh we talked about not too long ago a, another big biopic where it really delves into the the misdeeds of the main character and the effect that that had on their partner mm-hmm. but overall this movie doesn't spend a ton of time in any given you might have a little monologue or a scene that's three five minutes maybe but for the most part it's jumping around so much mm-hmm. but i did love that before the movie was over emily blunt got her dab her moment where she just dabbed on the asshole prosecutors um in that uh, interrogation scene yeah that, that was that was lovely yeah, and and the refusal to shake the hand of the guy who he worked with yeah. that basically turncoated and like kind of just like threw him to the wolves, so to speak. Which, do you know who that actor is? Benny Safdie. It's it's Benny Safdie. Yeah, oh, like how amazing is that? <laughs> direct one of our other great directors as an actor in a yeah. Oh, that, how crazy when is I saw that? Him, and the moment, because there are so many, I don't know that you can actually t- talk about this movie. I think we might be talking about both at the same time, the editing and the acting. Yeah. Along with everything else, the visual effects and the score. But the moment when Benny Zapti's character is putting on the sunscreen with yeah. the sunglasses before the bomb <laughs> goes off was, to me, my favorite moment of the entire movie. The bomb itself didn't, didn't love, love how they handled it. We'll get into it. That's probably going to be one of the big moments of this conversation. Yeah. My favorite moment where I go, holy shit, was that exact moment? Because it's kind of showing, like, and, and the Safdie brothers are really good at this, like the horrors of a normal thing. Right. It's It looks like he's a monster in a, mon- like, in a, not quite Frankenstein, but like a, in a horror movie, a Halloween movie of sorts. And he's putting on the sunscreen. It's like caking his face and he, he's disfigured from it. And he's got these big giant goggles. It's so funny. And it's like a realistic image. Like these are just, this yeah. guy's just put on sunglasses uh, to protect his eyes from the bomb. And he's put on sunscreen. And it, one of my other favorite things about the Safdie brothers is that because that same actor is in good time and plays a similarly like physical performance of essentially like a weirdo looking dude. Uh, no yeah. offense to him he's a he's a brilliant dude i would be buddies with him i'd love to grab a beer with him but he looks kind of weird right yeah. like he's not going to be the leading man of uh of a traditional rom-com right but to use that to effect is brilliant yeah and that was my favorite moment when we're getting ready for the bomb before the bomb even drops yeah and, and i love the interaction he had with jack quaid also who's in the car because he's like Oh, yeah. Do you want some of this? And he's like, "No, the UV protection on the windshield will will will, will you know protect me." And he, he says, "Oh, what you gonna do when the glass breaks or something like that?" Like I thought that was kind of funny. Um, well, oh, the the glass will protect you from the bomb. What will protect you from the glass? From the glass. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like, that was really hilarious. Yeah, and it was it, that whole kind of prep for the the whole test too was. A lot of like little funny comedic moments because again, you're seeing humans being humans. This I could actually see this happening as people they don't know how to react, they don't know how to prepare because they've never done anything like this before. This is all brand new to them. So you have the one dude putting all the sun lotion on his face and then you know wearing the goggles. You have the other guy who's in the car, like oh, I'm fine, don't worry about this, and and then later on playing bongos when when things are in celebration mode and all that. Uh, it, it's just so interesting just to see humans being like that. But 
there's again, there's just so many brilliant performers that show up all throughout this movie. I'm I'm just gonna like call them off as I'm just shocked yeah. that they showed up. Rami Malik showing up, like I was not expecting to see him in this movie. David Desmalchen, who again, like someone who I am so familiar with being in more like the comedic type of roles, being in a like a pretty damn serious role in in this one. Um, Dane DeHaan, you know, like uh, showing oh, up there. We don't see him enough. No, He's, we don't. In the last ten years, to me, one of the big tragedies is that we haven't seen. Yeah, him I know. Young man, he was like uh, going to be to me similar with Michael Pitt as a young actor. This could be one of the great actors of all time. Yeah. And then just kind of falls off for a minute where we haven't seen him in very much. At some point, I even looked him up and just go, wait, why is there such a big gap in his resume? Yeah. Maybe he's going through stuff. I don't know. Sometimes our, our great actors are, are, have really weird personal lives or they're going sure. through things. Who who knows? Maybe he's been painting. I don't know. But he's, he's one of my absolute favorite actors. When I saw him, I just all I knew is I go, I wish that this was a bigger role. Yeah, damn, always good to see that man on the screen. Yeah, it, it was it was so nice to see him back like that because again, I can't even remember the last time I saw him on screen. It might have been Spider Man with a uh, freaking what's his name, mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield. I, I think that's the last yeah. time personally for me I saw him in, in a movie, but uh, and that was such a long time ago. But then you'll have Casey Affleck show up, and and it's funny because they do one of those things where you don't see his face right away. But the minute you hear him speaking, I'm like, wait a minute, is that Casey Affleck? And then boom, it's Casey Affleck. Um, Kenneth Branagh. Things you talk about in, in film school, where yeah. it's how do you introduce the superstar? Yeah. And in this case, sometimes it's like if it's a controversial superstar, what they're going through in their personal life, mm-hmm. etc. And so sometimes you just boom, throw them out there. Other times you show them from behind, they turn around, you show them come out from a, a fog of cla- yeah. whatever. This one was really interesting because of what Casey Affleck's been through, especially obscuring yeah. his face. And it, there was a moment where I go, did they edit this after the controversy? Because I my assumption was they filmed it after. I go, did they do a thing where they like body doubled and aren't going to show his face because of whatever? Right. No, that's not what they did. No. Christopher Nolan isn't getting into that. And But it, they, I do think that they handled that kind of well where they ease you into like, hey, you're about to see Casey Affleck in a movie. Right. And it's right. been a while after like a what do you call it a low-key cancellation or something right. like it wasn't covered in the new york times but he hasn't had the roles that he had before in a while no so def- seeing definitely him not. Been, he's another one of those a favorite actor that that fell off and that's for very different reasons um uh but that was interesting to see him yeah no time. for sure i mean it, again it, it anytime a good actor is associated with a movie like that, like like what we're seeing. It, it's always a pleasure to see that happen. And and yeah, Casey Affleck is a great actor. It's just unfortunate that you know some stuff came about and all that. And who knows where where that is now? But um, Kenneth Branagh showing up, and, and again, Branagh is like, I feel like he's he's part of like new royalty in Hollywood because like you know we all, we also know him as a director he is kind of uh he plays Perot in those like murder mystery movies and everything but he's such a well respected actor in Hollywood for such a long time so every time he shows up it's like a it's like a nice treat just to see him there in this in the movie um we have Alden Ehrenreich uh, playing Richard Feynman uh solo yeah, we had, we had Han Solo himself. Uh, Han Solo acting right next to Tony Stark, like for the most part. And I, I just thought that was like really, really fascinating to see. Um, 
Jason Clark, who was the main interrogator during the whole interrogation moments, um, a guy that you learn to hate very early because of his line questioning and all that. Um, Josh Hartnett, he was a face that I was like, whoa, I haven't seen this face in forever. He's in a Guy Ritchie movie. Um, the new, was it Operation Fortuna? Operation Fortune, something like that. Ruth uh-huh. Pierre. Um, I'm, I'm getting the title wrong, but he had a big role in that. And that was one of the first times I'd seen him in a while. I think he's in a Black Mirror episode. A recent oh, is that right? One, okay. But he's basically having a little moment, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who, if you missed either of those two properties, which they're not, yeah. they're not the most ubiquitous movies. This dude used to be, Oh. the leading young man like Heath Ledger era it was those yeah. two are right up there for you know cover of every magazine concept yeah. like so seeing him have a, a comeback moment in his career is really nice yeah for sure and, and again we could keep j- just how stacked this movie is we could just keep oh, going I, I'm going. gonna throw in two more please I'm gonna throw in um Tom Conti as Einstein it was one yes. that I had to look up during it of like wait who's playing this dude yeah and then the president himself, Gary Oldman. Oh yeah, how, how can yeah? Time. How can we forget? Oh, recognizable, but he's also one of our best. You know, he's doing Churchill a few yeah. years ago. He has fully putting on the prosthetics. Yeah, he has that that affect to his voice that no matter yeah. how he acts, you could yeah. you could pick it up. And the minute it's I heard him speak, gravel at the base yeah. of his register. Yeah, and, I and, heard the voice. I go, wait, who is that? And then we see it. I go. Hell yes. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> fucking A. I'm like, now that you have Gary Oldman in this movie, too, I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. It, it was like, so how many good. Oscar nominations are in this cast? I'm sure someone did the math already. Holy shit. But damn, whenever you've got a dude of that quality just phoning it in for the cameo and it's not the only little three to five minute role, these are some of the greatest actors in history yeah. and a chunk of them. And a lot of them are small roles. I That's one of the things I love about um, having a great director or, you know, an asteroid city mm-hmm. um, concept. And, and similarly, both movies are dealing with, there's the bomb joke about an asteroid city or whatever. But they're also both where you're setting up a camp in New Mexico area, right in the middle uh, of nowhere. Yeah. The Southwest. And I'm wondering to what degree that I want to hear more stories, which we got after asteroid city came out and because actors aren't promoting, we might not hear these stories, but mm-hmm. I do want to hear at least some research on what went into that, if they really did, to what degree they built a town and to what degree this was essentially an actor's camp, similar to what we heard about Asteroid City. I want to hear a lot of stories and and watching before the movies were released, but promotional stuff where they're interviewing the cast of Barbie, talking about what it was like to work together. There's some yeah. lovely moments from those, that press tour. I'm going to do a little more diving on what that was like, because can you just imagine going to the cafeteria and you've got that group of people around you? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Well, knowing Christopher Nolan, I'm sure he built everything from the ground up for a lot of this movie. That town, I'm sure he built straight up, just like how Wes Anderson built that town in Spain and everything. Um, and, and we can go into uh, next about you know the, the effects and, and just uh, the edit, like more of the editing and stuff like that. But uh, I'll close out with more names here just to close things out. Matthew Modine, James Remar. I mean, like, forget it. Like, a lot of these well-known people, the minute they step on screen, you know right away. Like, holy shit, you got this guy in here too? Who else are you missing? Um, But yeah, it's... And everyone did their job 
the way they you should mentioned have Damon done. already, right? I know you rattled off some names earlier on. Yeah, oh yeah, we talked about it, Matt that. That was another before, huge. Yeah. Okay, that was just another yeah. huge role to where, and I'm not the biggest Matt Damon stan. I think he's got done amazing work. There's times mm-hmm. where it's it's a less impressive where he's doing more get the paycheck. This was one where it's like that was a really good casting and a good performance yeah. from him. Um, of it wasn't a heavy lifting on the emotional aspect of the role, but it was a perfect. That's exactly what you wanted that character to be and do throughout the movie. Well, you know the story behind him and and taking this role, right? Did you hear him talk about it? He said yeah. he was he was at that point where he wanted to take a break from acting, and he was talking to his wife mm-hmm. about it. And then Christopher Nolan calls him to ask him about the, this movie. And he's like, and he's like, and then Christopher Nolan calls. So I guess that break will be put on hold because I have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> also, little shout out to the Casey Affleck, Matt Damon reunion since Ocean's Eleven. Hell yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. When they're both playing the military guys with similar outfits. I that's would right. love this to just be a little parallel universe of that. And it's, yeah. there's some like, espionage aspect to it anyway that's yeah. obviously absurd did you mention um he's he's been a big indie dude and he's had big roles in in real films too or like more popular films but um david crumholtz who played the um kind of his larger friend the guy who meets on the train and they even make yeah. a joke about his size mm-hmm. early on i don't remember if you mentioned it but that's that was another one where he's he's done like and also i always get him confused with jake johnson uh, oh yeah, girl, yeah. Look, their faces are very similar and to where there's a moment in life where i wasn't double checking and i just always thought it was just a weight loss thing back and forth that's funny but this actor has done both um but uh he's he was uh, a young actor in the early santa claus movies the tim allen ones yeah that's right he's been a mainstay mm-hmm. in hollywood but he's he's rarely if ever the the front of the movie poster guy but i yeah. love seeing him and i think he he did a great job with this role no absolutely uh, another random one to name too is uh tony goldwyn who has been in in the industry for a very long time i mean people who are familiar with the movie ghost he was uh the the baddie in ghost and all that so it was nice to see him in the interrogation room as well um you mean the president of scandal uh are you not a scandal head right now? <laughs> what are you apparently i'm Check not I love um, yeah he's he's another one of those and it was a perfect role for him yeah that's exactly the character he should be playing in this movie yeah and, and yeah yeah the part again, again it's like name drop name drop name drop I mean it's just everywhere you look I'm not gonna keep naming but <laughs> holy shit it just doesn't stop it doesn't um, it really doesn't we we definitely hit the the main ones I think yeah um, overall uh, of those before we move on but. Were there any that you were more impressed by or surprised by? Because these are all people who or even disappointed by. These are all people who we know mm-hmm. that they're ac- accomplished and that's why they're cast in this movie. You yeah. probably could have gotten an even bigger slate of actors or people who are maybe even more famous. And he just said no. Um, I don't know if you thought there was any miscasting or anything that you're particularly surprised by. Not, not really. I mean, I, I, again, I, I felt everyone who was cast in their roles played the roles exactly the way they should have, and exactly, I'm sure, what was asked of them, and everyone was in it, all in on it. I think if there was any one, any one person that like surprised me outside of Killian Murphy, because he is the main standout. Because uh, again, you don't really see him as the leading man in a lot of these movies that he's in. 
uh, Josh Hartnett. It was just so great and to get reminded yeah, on how good of an good actor one. he is. And now he's in his later years in life. How it, it's not so much Still of a focus. Oh my God, no! Don't he, get me wrong. He was great. He's a good-looking dude, but that's not the main focus of what his his career is like. Not like how it was before, where he was like the heartthrob, right? Like Team B, yeah, yeah, DiCaprio vibe. Yeah. yeah. So it was just nice to see him. You know, really just focusing more on the acting. And again, it just shows you, like, especially under like a great director like Nolan, how a person like that can be a great actor. Uh, and it was just nice to see that. Before before we move on, because I, I think I have a similar, like, it's basically the people we haven't seen in a while, the Dane DeHans, the Josh Hartnett's. I mm-hmm. love those. Everybody else, we basically got the quality that we're used to. Yeah. Before we move on from acting, the only thing I'll kind of throw out there uh, as the the more indie movie dude and the, the one doing deep dives on filmographies, um, I'm sure folks know Peaky Blinders, Killian Murphy. And he does a lot of movies where he'll play a more supporting role, like A Quiet Place Part Two, where he plays mm-hmm. a baddie. Um, that was really well done, or Dunkirk, where he's it's a smaller role, but a, an important one. But um, Free Fire is an indie movie that's a favorite of mine. If you want to see a Tarantino movie that's not directed by Tarantino, A24. Wilson recommend. Yes. Yeah, we talked about that one. Mm-hmm. I forgot in our A24 episode. Um, I started watching The Party, which is going to be more like a Britishy, uh, black and white people make rich people making quick quips at a party. Um, but yeah. if that's your vibe, great job there. Um, obviously, he plays Scarecrow in the Dark Knight movies, which I think is the first time when he works with Nolan before Inception. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have the order of filming wrong, but there were so many of those movies. Um, but my favorite favorites, um, oh yeah, he also played the bad guy in Red Eye, which is probably one of the first big roles for him that a lot of people would have seen um, when he's opposite Jennifer Garner, um, who I always confuse with another actress, but that's Jennifer Garner, right? The, no, Rachel McAdams, damn it. That's the Ah, you did it. Uh, yep, did it on air. Um, and then 28 Days Later, right? Zombie movie. I don't know if... Yeah. I think that's a popular I think movie. It but is. It's one of those, when I was in high school, somebody sat me down, they're like, you got to watch this movie yeah. kind of thing. Um, and that's, but it's also a zombie genre film. So I'm not sure if everyone saw it, but if you're doing, especially if you're younger and going over the backlogs, that mm-hmm. movie is now 21 years old. Yeah. One of his big leading roles, but then he hasn't had much, you know, the main guy on the movie poster work since yeah. then. The ones I'll throw out are Breakfast on Pluto, um and sunshine which we're not going to get into them as movies but those might be ones especially sunshine is uh written by alex garland who we talked about a lot last year after the movie men came out right uh, who also directed ex machina and annihilation um but it's directed by danny boyle so i'm assuming like if if people are you know i'm guessing you and i both saw that in theaters back then like we're both enjoying sci-fi movies and Mm -hmm. I was young, but it was like college age. So that was the perfect time for me to be going to the movies looking for art films. Um, if somebody's younger or just happened to miss that one, full recommend on Killian Murphy. Since we're talking about him as not having a history as a leading man, he's had a few, but there's it's been a while since he's, you know, he's not the guy who's always going to be the, the lead actor in a big Hollywood movie like this. It's no, one sure. of my favorite things. When, if I'm saying a surprise, it's not like he's never done it before. But it's one of the things that I really enjoyed was just handing him the reins and saying, this is the main character. You're going to be in about every scene. 
just own it and damn if he didn't. I mean, he earned it. I, I you know, I, I think he totally yeah. earned it, you know, because, yeah, now that you mention it, I remember watching 28 Days Later the first time. And that was my first exposure to Killian Murphy back then. Um, but he's worked so much with Nolan that I'm pretty sure Nolan's like, I'm going to make a role for him. And and here it is. And he knocked it out of the park. He killed it. Um, and it was just such a nice thing to see for someone who's been doing this for so long now. Um, but I, this will make him more of a well-known actor to more audiences. Because, again, a lot of the movies you mentioned, they're, they're smaller films. They're like more of the, the indie type of films. Peaky Blinders, you know, that's a series that, yes, it's very popular, but that's also a very, it's a streaming show. And not a lot of people watch, you know, specific shows like that. So I think now for more generic audience, this is like, oh, who's this guy? Now you're going to have people probably going to go backwards and see his backlog of stuff that he, he he's assigned to and all that. But you can't talk about Oppenheimer without talking about special effects, especially because the majority of the movie is leading up to this one event, and that is the big explosion of the the test of the, 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 the bomb right there, the A-bomb. And I think a lot of people are going to be talking about this moment because, again, I, I, again, that's the expectation, right? This is what people are probably going to go to the movies to want to see. And I've already seen some feedback about it online. Um, I've saw some people comment about it in my out of theater reaction on the channel and how although impressive it's not as impressive as if they probably if they if he decided to go the cg route uh because if you've seen like the actual footage of the test yeah it's this humongous mushroom cloud craziness that happens right now you don't exactly get that same magnitude. But I'm sorry. Knowing that he did this all practically, yeah. it was still very effective. And it was the fact that he was able to get some of that look down and some of that moment captured on screen. You know, plus you played with the sound during that moment too, where the minute the explosion goes off, everything is silent except for like the breathing, the panting, the anticipation of the awe that everyone had as they're watching this. And then as kind of like almost like an aftershock hitting you with the sound later on, because, you know, that's just how it works too. Isn't it lights faster than sound? So you will see the flash first before the sound hits you and all that. And then when it does, it really freaking hits you. And you're just like, oh my God. You know, and then you have kind of like aftershocks after that, too. For me, it was very effective, especially leading up to that moment. And it was as impactful as I think it it would have been if it was a CG recreation or what have you. But again, knowing going into it, knowing that he did this all practically, it, it's just a testament to his filmmaking and just how amazing it was. So... How did you feel about that moment? And we could talk about any other kind of effects because, like, it once that moment happens, there's one other moment that happens after the fact that is very effects driven, editing edited driven, and and I guess one of the more horrific moments of the movie too, um, 
that we could talk about after this. But what were your thoughts on, on all that? I think that this movie hyped <clears throat> the bomb scene in the production of it. It's one of the first sure. articles people see when they're thinking about this movie. It's not necessarily the crux of the film, like the most important thing that you're taking away from it. Mm-hmm. But it is the moment of this dude's life that defines him and how he is defined by society afterward. Yeah, I don't hate that the movie didn't make this a movie that ends with the bomb scene and they all walk away. His story is so much bigger than that and it's deeper than that. And I'm glad that they made that not necessarily the central focus of the movie. But nonetheless, if you're talking about a movie where someone sets the home run record in baseball or like in I, Tanya, the triple axle or something like that, it's right. like this is the moment of this person. You're going to want to make it. I don't want to shit on it. It was practical effects. I don't know what all went into it. I know that it was an effective scene. And if I didn't go into it with this, like, there's going to be a nuke, then I would have probably been, oh, wow, they did a really good job with that. When it went quiet and they amplified the dramatic reactions to the bomb without it being something where I'm like, because a lot of people are in awe and it's really hard to communicate how amazing something is if their face is, when you see people like at a watching fireworks, you're not getting the feeling of watching fireworks. They did a really good job amping you up for it. They're doing a full countdown. And there's not a lot of ways that you can actually communicate to an audience what it would feel like to be out there. Because it's such like an astronomical event. I'm, I'm, I'm probably misusing astronomical, but you know what I mean? Like such a big event. You can't really capture that on in screen but there are things that movies have done. I'm thinking of 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm thinking of a lot of movies where there's a moment, a bomb drop, or even like a, a metaphorical bomb drop, where it's not actually a bomb. But you can make the screen go totally white. You can make the sound so intense that people are like kind of shaken. He kind of does the opposite and he makes it minimal. And to me, I didn't love that. And I also didn't love mm-hmm. that I could hear the people in the theater while the bomb's supposed to be going off. And people were quiet and respectful, thank goodness. Because if there was someone talking on a cell phone or something, it would have ruined the fucking movie, which Nolan is a theater purist. And this is where I'm going to take a little shot at that. I love that he and Scorsese are such purists. Great for them. They write really good think pieces on how important cinema is, and they're not wrong. But there's going to be a showing, and there probably was yesterday, where someone's phone goes off during that moment. It's going to be the <laughs> worst fucking moment that person is that the theater has ever had in movie history, especially if their ringtone is fart noises or something like that. Like, everyone's going to laugh and be so, like, this nervous tension. And it's going to be like, come on. Like, you can't have, like, for that moment of this major movie sure the silence was very effective and i'm very glad that my theater was respectful in that moment and nothing went wrong i was not i was bothered by it i was not as impressed as if he had done which nolan can do we know what it felt like like the bank robbery scene in dark knight or inception when the sound is happening all throughout the movie Mm -hmm. he's really good at that and he was inverting expectations and maybe said there's no way to even explain it. I'm just going to let people see it and not really feel it. 
And also, there's something interesting about the bomb in a random desert in the middle of nowhere versus what it's like to drop it in a city. That's a very different story, too. And so maybe people there were even a little underwhelmed. They're like, oh, yeah, that's going to kill about a couple hundred thousand people. But it was just like a big light in the sky, a Mm -hmm. lot of smoke, and then it kind of went away. I don't know. But I'm sure they were shook to their core imagining what it would be like in in the city. But the actual visual, maybe, maybe they wanted to minimize it. And I'm kind of glad they didn't show Hiroshima and Nagasaki on the day because yeah. that would have been a nightmarish film moment. But what's interesting to me is he, again, inverts expectations. He's showing those when that's happening. He's showing Killian Murphy waiting by the phone saying they haven't called yet. I thought they would call. And then they hear about it on the radio. Mm-hmm. And then Matt Damon calls him and gives him the little congratulations. It was a successful operation. It does do, if his, if his intention was to de-emphasize the actual bomb and to show, we don't want to show and glorify the horrors of Nagasaki and, and Hiroshima. We want to leave it more to the imagination. And we want to show that this man is in his head about these events. He wasn't actually there. Yeah, I do think it's essentially a smart choice if you want to tell the story of the mental journey and the moral journey of this character. But I went into it thinking this was a movie about a bomb, and it was not a movie about a bomb at all. And the blockbuster fan in me wanted there to be more bomb. To me, the most effective moment telling about the experience of the bomb was when he's having visions afterward and panic attacks, and he's seeing people and things explode. That, to me, was like, oh, you got through what that may have felt like more, the intensity of it. I, I understand him taking the air out of the room and and not actually showing the, the magnitude of this thing and not glorifying it, instead showing more the moral ramifications and fallout. I didn't know I was signing up for a drama, a psychological drama and a courtroom drama when I was going to this movie, Christopher Nolan. I wish that the marketing had been a little bit clear that this was not going to be, and partially my fault. I avoided every trailer. In fact, twice I walked out of the theater when the trailer was happening. Another time I just closed my ears and looked down. Maybe they did try to warn me. Nonetheless, the the poster is an explosion. I saw that one. I know the story of, of the bomb and its effect on history. Uh, I've listened to entire podcasts about the nuclear, like leading up to Trinity and then all of the moments since then of nuclear history. I was thinking that the bomb might be a little bit of a bigger deal the way it was in history in this movie. That's my gripe with this movie. That's why I actually lo- rated it lower than Barbie. It, I, I find it extremely interesting that that bothered you as much as it did. Interesting is um, a way to say that you're bothered that I was bothered. You could be, be more direct. Sure. You're, you think it's a dumb take. You think it's, I, you think I do wrong. think it's a dumb take. You and disagree. I think I, I think it's also a dumb That's take when, when people comment that, Oh, it was just all hype leading up to that moment, and it was okay. You know, it's like, I, I, I think we are, because of cinema today, we are so accustomed to the extravaganza of special effects. It, again, this is a very common conversation you and I have had recently about how the action is overtaking a lot of these movies and taking away from the story. Uh, because more people are interested and fascinated more with the action bits in, instead of like the slow moving story bits and all that. Yeah. I, I hand it to Nolan for not going that route. You know, just be like, I'm going to, I'm focusing full on story, but 
I'm also giving you an, a, a different type of feeling when something like this happens. The whole the whole focus was not really on the explosion, but more of the reaction of the people seeing such a, a monumental thing happening in front of them. Um, I understand. I put myself in their shoes. The was. Yeah. Yeah. I put myself in their shoes. Like if I was there, like I, I probably would not have believed what I'm seeing in front of my eyes, you know, and all that. And I probably would have been reacting to like one of the many or of any of the 50 people that were watching this happening in front of them. Now, like you, I'm also very glad they didn't have to uh, glorify what happened during the bombing of Hiroshima or Nagasaki, you know, because that is very unnecessary. If it was another director who was, you know, really focused on the action and, and kind of like fan, like the the extravaganza of like, you know, special effects, I'm pretty sure we would have seen something like that. Or, or they would have done... would have shown them bombing the A-bomb a in Berlin and right. killing Hitler and landing on his head or something. Right, or something like that, yeah. Or they would have shown, like, the whole thing, like, kind of, like, dropping. And then just before it explodes, they cut, you know, to, for, like, a dramatic effect or whatever the case. And then they'll show, like, an aftermath of maybe the, the scientists going back to the location and seeing the, the devastation or whatever. But the natural to, disaster version of that story is wild to me. Like when they like a geo storm or some yeah. absurd, like where they try to show the giant waves of the ocean or the right. uh, the Statue of Liberty drowning <laughs> kind of thing. Like that version of this movie would be bonkers right. as hell. Like right. it would be unsettling, and I'd probably throw up at some point. Sure. Um, but the the to bring up to piggyback on what you brought up, which is the the second part that I said, like when it involves special effects that I thought was very effectful for me was when he goes to that kind of rally to give that speech and he's really feeling the effects of the aftermath of everything happening where he's giving kind of like the speech is like, I'm proud of what we did or whatever the case is. And the crowd is standing up cheering, but then it cuts to a, a person screaming and then it cuts out. And then now you're seeing him seeing these, these visions of, you know, people kind of like with their faces kind of tearing away or melting away. He steps on like an ash of like a body figure and all that. Like this is where it becomes horror, like horror inducing. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing like what what looked like someone who was just, you know, in 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 glee and 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 cheering to all of a sudden pure on tears of devastation and everything, the couple making out. Blonde at mm. Marilyn Monroe's movie premiere when she's going having an episode yes. and people are like applauding and screaming. Yes. And you're watching her face kind of melt and like be right. mirror figures. Right. I I I I know what, I know what you're saying in that regard, and I that's why I thought that scene was so effective. I wish that this movie had become a psychological horror movie. I think I would have actually enjoyed it more if they didn't just barely dive into that. Or there's a moment when he's thinking about the bomb mm -hmm. and in the boardroom, the thing goes to white and he's seeing like bright white light cover everything. And mm -hmm. he's taking it with him. I wish they'd kind of shown the meltdown version of this movie, which maybe that's too dramatized and that's mm -hmm. not necessarily what happened. But I just feel like they didn't do enough in that regard they did enough for me to feel tense and mm -hmm. for me to like feel the moral dilemma. And if that's what the movie's about, and it's really hard to tell a dramatic story about a moral dilemma through special effects, then I think they did a pretty good job. But even some of those took me out of it to where I'm in my head about the bomb scene going like, Oh, what's going to happen? 
And then I felt, and my guess is, it's not like anybody applauded. My guess is a lot of people in the audience were maybe not even disappointed, but just like, okay, he did a, he did a good job showing what that would look like. But even the scene when the when he's in that the meeting where they're talking about um, he's he's essentially on trial without being on trial. Mm. Um, the and the trial. room is covered in a bright yeah. Uh, which shout out to his character Scarecrow in Dark Knight who also was doing trials <laughs> similar. That's right. true. That um, is very true. Yeah. The when that room is covered in light, it felt like a like. It, it felt like when a movie is overly stylized and it takes you out of the moment and I'm going, Oh, I see what Christopher Nolan is doing here. He's trying to make me feel this thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually experience it necessarily the way he intended for me to, that might just be me, but I really like a Safdie brothers um, movie where they just like really get in your head and twist around and like mess you up with that if they do it. But this one kind of felt like, he would dip his toe in it without going all the way. And I wish that he wasn't half stepping into the showing the bomb mm. and showing the psychological horrors of Oppenheimer afterward. It was intense, but it didn't, it didn't fuck me up. Instead to me, the big takeaway was the moral dilemma that he faced and mm. what his beliefs were and his, him being haunted uh, by the, the quandary of his life and his legacy, but not actually haunted like, like a horror movie, like, the way I wish that it was more in my face. Mm-hmm. That's just me. And I, I mainly the problem here, which we always talk about, we always talk about the problem when you don't like a movie is often expectations. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. If I'd gone into this thinking, this was just going to be a psychological drama of a dude who happened to be the inventor of the a bomb. I think I would have appreciated it much more. If I got into it thinking of it as like a blue Jasmine or a tar tour de force of acting, then I may have actually enjoyed it more of, a story of someone going through something and a psychological mm-hmm. journey. I think I would have appreciated more if I'd known, and maybe I should have watched the trailer or looked more into the movie going into it. That's it's honestly, I'm not even trying to say that this is the fault of the movie. It is an incredible, incredible film. I just wish that we had, I, I think I would have enjoyed it more. And the things I didn't enjoy about it were can mainly be boiled down to that. Cause everything else about the movie was pitch perfect and on a second watch, now that I know what to expect, I might change my review and say it's five and a half stars as opposed to four and a half. I don't know. But <laughs> that's that's my that's my overall if I'm gonna go into the, my qualms with the movie. That's that's why I feel this way. Gotcha. Okay. Um I mean again, it's not it's not just you. Like I I, I am seeing a lot of kind of discord um referring to the same things that you're feeling as well. I, I'm also seeing a lot of people saying that the third act was very slow and very like you had all this momentum going into the big event and then it just kind of bottomed out afterwards. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do agree that there were that moments that kind of felt dragged a little bit. Like it was a little bit too, like how much longer are we going to focus in this interrogation room like i felt like there was maybe a little bit too much of that um but it didn't bother me or take me out of the movie so much that i'm just like oh here we go another bad third act or something like that um like for me it it was fine so other than that I, i didn't really have any other gripes with with everything else um but uh but i could i see your point I, I, I do see your point. And maybe if you did see a trailer or two, 
you can kind of see the tone that they were setting um, going into this movie. Because for me, I knew we were going to get some sort of drama. I just wasn't expecting that twist. That not twist, but that that turn that happened afterwards, where my my whole mode, my whole feeling changed. Where it was just like typical thriller biopic that was very intense. And then to kindly switch into something that's just very dreadful and very like, oh my gosh, what's happening now? Like, like emotional, like kind of like an emotional turn and all that. Um, and, and for that, I felt it was very effective for me and it, it, it definitely worked on me. Um, but yeah, everyone takes away things differently. So I'm excited to go again, honestly, because I think that that will, I actually have a ticket for uh, an hour from now. Oh. I think that it, I'll actually appreciate it, which I don't know why I do this to myself, but um, I'm going to go through it again. And I think I'll appreciate it more with yeah. my expectations having been corrected of what the movie's focused on. Because mm-hmm. I do like a good acting tour de force psycho- psychological journey film. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was effective at that. I just felt like there was a couple things that I was going into it expecting that I didn't get from it. Sure. And I'm, I'm like you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks feel that way. Yeah. We might have a similar question as we did with Barbie, just to kind of book in the Barbenheimer convo again. But what folks will the people who want a simpler movie be disappointed by this? It'll will it go right. over their heads? Will they say, "I thought this was going to be a movie about World War II or whatever"? Um, and Barbie, they're like, "I just thought this was going to be a fun old campy romp at the theater." Um, and instead they got something much deeper. I had my expectations were lower for Barbie and exceeded. And that's why I gave it five and the inverse with Oppenheimer, where I actually expected it to be mm-hmm. more of a spectacle. Um, I don't know. Actually, it's, it's essentially the opposite, but I didn't, it was, it was flipped for me on what I was looking for and how far they went into it. Right. But, um, that's, that's to me, the story of my Barbenheimer t- two day experience and, and why I ended up with the scores I did. Yeah. But again, great scores for both. I mean, it, it kind of shows you the, the pedigree yeah. and quality yeah. of the movies. You know? Best weekend in movie history. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Four and a half and five being the top two. My God, for I two movies? Yeah. Possible seven. Yeah. yeah. Not a bad. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, again, these are complaints. Like, I'm looking for things of like, why well, did you sure. give it five? Yeah. I, if someone had heard me only say the last word, they'd be like, what, you gave it a two out of five? What the hell? No. This is a near perfect movie. I just was expecting five out of five. Perfect. Everything I yeah. wanted happening and coming to life. Um, and, and that's, that is a, the movie that we got, but I, I think this is a better movie than, than what I wanted out of it, you know, whereas more, Oh hell yeah, bro. That was sick. Like Inglorious Bastards was supposed to end with a giant, you know, super, <laughs> super violent scene. Yeah. I think if this movie had been that way, I would have been like, what the fuck did Chris? That would have, yeah, that, that would feel that so out of nowhere. It, it just like with the bomb and they <laughs> high five and cheer. And he's like, all right, time to go about my life. That's my story. Da, 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 da. And that's yeah. where I was <laughs> in 1945. Yeah, you see him like in a log cabin somewhere just telling a story. And that was the story <laughs> of the A-bomb. Badass. Yeah, that would have Like, you're the man. <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been so crazy. Um, okay. So, all right. So, you gave this four and a half stars. Uh, I gave it five. Um, again, it, it's like a complete reversal of what we, we kind of went over with Barbie previously. If you were to choose what was the better movie, 
what would it, what would it be? No. no, no <laughs> oh no, yeah, no, I'm no, doing no, it. No, I'm doing it. No. Because again, yes. the the essence of Barbenheimer is, and I, no. I, I one of the things going into <laughs> this weekend too is that, and I think what more people are paying attention to is, is which one's going to make the most money. I think hands down, obviously, it's going to be Barbie because. Oh, because you put it in your blockbuster list and you're no, the not economy. necessarily. <laughs> well, it's five stars and it's getting people to go to the movie. And I honestly think that's some insider trading going on so that you win our summer blockbuster draft. That's kind of bullshit. You're tweeting really nice things about Barbie out there. I'm giving it five stars on Letterboxd. I should be giving it zero just so that way it maybe hurts the box office a little bit, you know. No. Come on, man. No, this nothing like fight. that. Nothing I thought like Oppenheimer that. was going to make more money. What, the early projections from whenever we did that a few months ago were that Barbie would have very been different. a bit less. Yeah, very different. And that flipped amazingly so how much it flipped um it'll be yeah and especially when you see because the early numbers came in from the the thursday night showings um barbie pulled in 20 million while oppenheimer pulled in 11 um but again you have a two-hour movie versus a three-hour movie more showings all that there's a lot of stuff in play there especially that'll be the three-hour movie even more but I'm still, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up double or whatever more. And if you finally take the lead, because I've been kicking your ass in this blockbuster game. Part of me, I'm not saying that I want the bigots to ever be successful or have victory. But if they did ban the movie Barbie in the red states, that would help. I'm just saying that would help my summer blockbuster. I do not want that to happen. I think it's a great film. I loved it. So I, far, I, it seems yeah. I loved it more than Oppenheimer. I'm just saying that that would help me in the summer blockbuster. Sure. Game, which is not as important as as art and yeah. um and the bigots not being successful but uh, you know that could be interesting if that were to happen sure yeah, you know i'm just saying i'll say this I, I do feel like oppenheimer will have the longer legs than barbie does because i again i i do think that's that a weird thing to say when you like just phrasing there with barbie and off they're both they're both like we're not judging barbie or oppenheimer based on their legs facial structure any they're both beautiful beautiful I, it was not a reference to looks and, and all that stuff. It was more of, again, it's narrative. I think people who were expecting a, a different type of Barbie movie will learn really fast how it's not that. And it could definitely yeah. change things around. Well, Oppenheimer is like one of those historical type of movies like an Elvis that will have a longer, you know, lasting effect in cinemas because you're going to have people who will watch it as the time goes on because they didn't get to go to the theater before or whatever, or word of mouth will spread. And then maybe you have parents taking their grandparents to watch this or whatever the case is and and that happening. Um, But you have dodged the question long enough, which is the better of the two for you? For right now at this moment, with knowing this could change. Barbenheim, Monopoly, Barbie. Monop and Barbie. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, especially <laughs> after we talk through. Yeah. Monop and Barbie. I, after we talk, what's the mun part there? Am I, what am I missing? I don't know because you—that's what you said. You said Monop and Barbie, so maybe you're you're squeezing in Monopoly the movie. Mm, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> no. Mission Impossible Monop and Barbie. Mission, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and just say it's equal after we talk through Oppenheimer, and I'll see it again. I will probably have them one in one but as of today first viewing 
the the real often Barbie experience. Mm-hmm. Is it silly we're treating this like a competition when it's great for movies? And that's what people are like, oh, yeah. which one's better? Which one's going to, which one are you rooting for? Everyone who likes movies is saying we want both to be successful and great. Absolutely. I love them all. I want them both to make a billion, billion dollars. It's so rare we get movies of this caliber from this mm-hmm. caliber of creators and this caliber of cast and this caliber of directing. The marketing has been off the charts. It's been lovely to see all of that. The cast through and through. Like, you don't get movies of this quality on the same weekend yeah i'm gonna say as of today it's barbie nice nice yeah i i and that's perfectly fine that's perfectly fine like for me it's a little bit unfair because i saw barbie already before you know so if if i if i'm thinking of it as something that i saw fresh i i still do think oppenheimer would 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 beat it as far as best movie for me for right now as of this weekend this could easily change like a week or two from now, the more I have it sink in my head. And I will go back into theaters and rewatch Oppenheimer. I will watch Barbie again um, just to give it one more go at the theaters to, to watch it fully. Um, just like I've done with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and all that. I still have, uh, I have yet to watch Across the Spider-Verse again for the second time, which I really want to do that before they remove it from theaters. Um, but yeah, but as of right now for me, um, Oppenheimer is definitely the better of the two, but there is no really wrong answer here because both are very high quality films and they are both going to be very successful in their own right, um, this weekend and hopefully for weeks to come. Um, any final thoughts on, on Barbenheimer before we, we close out? I'm going to miss this weekend. This is looking back. We're going to be 90 years old. Have <laughs> sitting on our porch someday, smoking our Oppenheimer pipe, drinking our Barbie coffee mm-hmm. out of a tiny plastic mugs and just remembering this weekend and how, how this is like less than once in a generation where you get yeah. this kind of hype going into it and especially becoming a meme of a weekend. Even just like in history, this is, this is some like, you know, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, level of like rivalry kind of mm-hmm. concept even though everyone's in on it and no one's actually sometimes they do but there's often not even malice at the heart of it but it's like you know a, a, a what's a ginned up rivalry uh, this is special this is yeah for any movie lover and for for us you and i especially this is this weekend was made for us i'm i'm gonna miss it so i'm really glad we got to spend all this time talking about it yeah it is definitely like a moment in cinema history especially in regards to marketing because what what an amazing marketing turn that they made this weekend and it has a lot to do mainly with with uh, with people not so much so from the studios themselves yeah. because you know Warner Brothers have been treating Oppenheimer just re- like a regular Christopher Nolan not, event not, film not Warner Brothers universal for that one and then Warner was oh right Barbie, I'm sorry right? you're right you're right yeah, yeah well, I know right. but it's because he was yeah. he was always historically Warner yeah so uh, Christopher Nolan gets to sign off on marketing stuff and he did mm-hmm. he does minimal marketing he's not going to do yeah. and Barbie did the exact opposite they spent so much money in every cross promotional mm-hmm. deal and they were in every single Instagram ad every makeup company it's like down the line and it was very opposite. And yet somebody was talking about how if their goal was to mess with Nolan in that rivalry after he left Warner, uh, Warner that it backfired because apparently every time a new Barbie thing would drop, the Oppenheimer 
ser- Google searches would go up because people associated yeah. these movies with each other. Yeah. So it actually them trying to drop on the same weekend if it was going to hurt, which that's even conjecture there. No one's admitting that. Yeah. But even in that theory, it was it was great for both movies and it was great for cinema in general because of people. And I think at least maybe in, in history, someone's going to look back and say, well, in 1962, these two movies came out. There are a few of those I've seen. Mm-hmm. But in the internet age, when people get to do so much of the marketing that this is special this is the first yeah. time we've seen anything like this we might even see in the future every summer people trying to do a barbenheimer um <laughs> uh, a knockoff you know right kind of concept of putting two movies against each other that are you know but it's not going to be the same this is special it, no it's not because like I, I actually tried going backwards to see like big movies that opened on the same weekend and the one thing that always stands out to me is that Gremlins and Ghostbusters opened up on that same weekend. How would you market that? Like for me in my mind, I'm like trying to come up. What would the name of that be? Like Gremlin Busters, Ghostlins. Like the the the, the G week weekend of the G movies. The G movie. Yeah. The GGs. Spooky G movie time. Yeah. Double G's in your face. <laughs> Yeah. There's yeah. Something. There you go. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is definitely gonna be one of those things that like we will not see often, but it were great to be a part of. And of course, we're gonna we see would... not see often. We talked about Oppenheimer this whole time. Why would you say we we do not see this often? Barbenheimer. Not... No, I know, but see... you said we do not see often. Don't say not see after. This has been our episode of Movie Time this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching. Obviously, let us know your thoughts about... I'm just trying to ignore that really bad joke. Um, We just want to hear your thoughts about Barbenheimer itself. Oppenheimer, Barbie, let us know if you've watched these movies. Or if you haven't, what did you think of the conversation? Let us know. Join in on the conversation and talk to us uh, in any of the channels that you've seen us, whether it's through YouTube or podcast platforms of your liking. Um, let us know all your thoughts and all that. But as we close out this week's episode of Movie Time, Blake, where can people find you on the interwebs? Just go to Letterboxd to see where I gave uh, Oppenheimer a 4.5 and a Barbie a 5 out of 5. Leave me some hate there or in the comments below. We also have a playlist just for the the Movie Time Guys channel. You can find all of our videos here. That's where you're going to find me and my my movie takes. Nice. Um, There should, Letterboxd should have a rating for Barbenheimer. They should have just combined oh, the two, yeah. and just see what the kind of the the aggregate is for both movies, and just see. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be up there for the most part, right? Shut. Oh, for sure. And shout out to this this weekend. Um, you see it every now and then in Letterboxd, but for Barbie, if you do a you click like, it's normally a green button, and this time it was a pink. Heart, nice pink. Yeah, pink. so cute. Um, is it normally actually? Hold on, I'm about to test this. It's I green, think, I think. Okay, no, it's normally or is it orange? orange? Yeah. All I know is that I just did Oppenheimer and it was orange, so maybe that's normally it. I thought, it, but it's. The I, I think it's. Green. I think you're right. I think it is orange. Um, okay, yeah. But if you want to see another cool tie-in, if you type in anything Barbie related in Google, your entire page turns pink with sparkles and all that. So yeah, hell yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. let's hell get it. Yeah. So do that. That's be a nice little fun ends. thing for you to do. Um, but yeah, as for myself, you could also find me on Letterboxd where you could find all the ratings there and the, the, my little reviews of movies after I see them. But most importantly, YouTube, 
uh, Instagram, Threads. I, I I finally went back to Threads this morning and I, I did my little my mini reviews of both of these movies. Um, so Threads is still active, but yeah, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. Don't forget comment, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell. Check out the description on how you could further support the channel and help the channel grow. Check out the merchandise shop that we've I've opened. Uh, support the channel by buying some cool shirts, stickers, what have you. But all that out of the way, I've been Renee. This has been Blake. This has been the Movie Time Movie Podcast. Stay cool, stay classy, stay safe, and we will catch you all in the next one. All right. Peace out, everyone. Bye-bye.